And hello and welcome, everybody. This is episode 202, season five. I cannot believe that we're in season five already of this amazing, amazing uh, podcast. I believe that we are, we should be coming on live here in just a moment. At least I hope so. Are we live yet, guys? Because we are live. Okay, good. It's always nice to know when we're live, so I'm just not yapping away trying to bleed off some time until we do go live. Well, welcome, everybody. It is Season 5, Episode 202. We we got uh, Brian Goff today. He's going to be talking about how the FAA could be regulating our sport really soon because of the Hamas thing. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, a bunch of wings and paramotors and fun stuff, so make sure you stick around. We're going to say hello to everybody in the chat, or actually not in the chat, but our uh, panel here. Uh, my name is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. You can always find me at iFlyParamotors.com, but let's go ahead and talk to uh, Linda Anderson. My goodness, um, I see you in the background with your hand up still. How you doing, Linda? Good to see you. I know. I love this picture. It's so fun. Um, yeah, every time we get like, man, I, I want to fly this and that, you know, and then I look at this picture and then I get all happy again. But welcome, everybody. It's Monday night. Thanks for joining us, all my chatters and listeners and watchers and all that stuff. Um, the only place to be is right here on Monday Night with us. And if y'all snowed in, you can be snowed in with us. We're going to have a great show tonight, yeah. so just sit Hi, back and relax. And uh, if you want to be a guest on my show like Brian, just go to ParamountUSA.com. It'll take you right to my Facebook page and just say, hey, I want to be on your show. So don't forget to ch- check out my ParamountUSA. Mm-hmm dot com website it's pretty dang cool so yes sit back and enjoy thanks everybody yay and the pom-poms too um yeah so this is gonna be really really interesting tonight uh we're actually snowed in over here also i know that linda's uh snowed in i think kevin said he's snowed in um i guess we can talk more to kevin real quick kevin are you snowed in welcome to the show glad that you're here this was your weekend to be over here flying (laughs) too yeah, and it uh, it snowed and snowed me out. So uh, I'll have to come up with another weekend to to come over there. Uh, but snowed in, schools are closed for the next two days, and it's uh, it's cold. My kids have been out playing in it, but uh, I've been in the house. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, I don't want to be out there. My dogs want to run out there, but I'm like, I, I don't have that fur coat like you do. No. But, uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Glad that you're here. And you are also our new president of the nonprofit Run to the Sky. So thank you, Mr. President. Yes, sir. All right. We got Will Fly from willflyppg.com. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. What's up? And Kevin, that's no excuse. But I'm bummed. Yeah, that's a good no one. No, it's good to be here. Um, no snow in Raleigh. It's supposed to get cold, though. I mean, whatever you're getting your way is apparently heading ours, but I don't think we're going to get any snow. But we were talking, uh, I don't know, I haven't flown in since like over a month because of the cold, what I would consider cold weather flying. <clears throat> man, oh, man. I don't know how they do it up north. I really don't. But anyways, it's good to be here. Uh, you want to check out my videos you can look me up on youtube will fly or you can just go to willflyppg.com back to you sean 
Well, thank you very much. It's always good to come back to me. And we got one more person, Scuba Steve. He has not only does he not only is he here um, on our show on Mondays, but he also has his very own podcast on Fridays, which I think I only went to once. So I'm sorry about that. But tell us a little bit about uh, that. And welcome to the show, buddy. I would tell you about it, but since you don't ever watch it, it really doesn't matter now, does it? Oh, <laughs> um. Yeah, I do a show. Sean don't watch it. Who cares? Anybody that wants to see it comes, you know, they come watch. So that's all that matters. We got a couple of flurries this morning. Um, from what I understand, the flurries got bigger, but I took I went to sleep because we had one of those floater days. We we could either take today off or the 19th of February. I was like, no, nah, I'll make it today. So that's what I did. And here we are talking to Yay! Mr. Goff. Um, which I, I swore I heard his name at a fly-in. Now I don't it may not have been your name. Um, does he train people? <laughs> was it good or bad? <laughs> it was bad because they were like, Man, he's such a butthole. I mean, he trains good, but he's a butthole. I'm like, well, you know, hey, sometimes you gotta be that way to get stuff done, I guess. So you know. it must not have been Brian. It must not have been okay. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, this guy is absolutely incredible. Welcome, uh, Brian, okay. to the show. Maybe we definitely appreciate you jumping in here. <laughs> sure. um, uh, just because, you know, there's not a lot of people that do know you, but you've been flying for an awfully long time. You've been around the sport and you got some in uh, inside knowledge of the FAA and the things that are coming out over at the Mac Pair and more cool stuff. But for those of you that don't know Brian, Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into paramotoring. So I've been flying paramotors for 20 years. This is my 20th year. I've been training for 15. Um, I got into paramotoring. I flew helicopters as a contractor for a long time. And I got I was in two pretty severe crashes, got out of helicopters and kind of just looked for something to get back in the air and got back in the paramotoring. Um, and then once I got in the paramotoring, just got hooked. Like to go from a, a twin turbine, 1800 an hour operation to 93 and Ams oil. <laughs> you, you, you can't, you can't beat it. So I don't, I, I'd always like, I love people that would always be like, Hey, let's fly out. Like, I used to live in Massachusetts and they'd be like, let's fly out to the Cape for lunch. And I'm like, that's a $2,000 cheeseburger that you're going to eat. If you want to split that, you know, I'll be more than happy to fly out there. Um, so I've been doing that. And then I, I got into through the school that I went to was I, I trained with Michael O'Daniel, um, which was part of the Eric Dufour crew down in Florida. And Michael about in 20, what is it? 2018, 2018 was killed in South Columbia, South America. He was free flying and he got caught up on the side of a mountain. Um, so I trained with Michael for years. I continued to help Michael. And then he kind of encouraged me to get into training. I taught helicopters for a long time and just had no interest in training because I, I saw the drama and all the crazy Facebook, Instagram stuff that would go on in the paramotor world. And I was like, I had no interest in getting into this. Um, and then I just kept getting sucked into training and I got to a point where I had, you know, 50, 60 people that I had going at a time and I would do a year school and it's just never stopped. Every time I walked away from it, I walked away from it twice. And within two years I was right back in it again. So. You are, you walked out of. I walked out of training. Yeah. I, I wrapped up all my students and just, I decided I wasn't going to do it anymore. And, Within two years, I was back to training again. So I every time I'll try to get out of it and, and get away from it, I always get sucked back into it. 
So I moved, we moved to Pennsylvania because we had kids. We're in our late mid forties and we had a, we have a two-year-old and a five-year-old and I had no interest in training. And I, a guy called me locally that found my information off the website and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, I'm a pilot on this and that. And I was like, I'll meet you at the field, you know, I'll kind of size you up and see what, you know, if you, what kind of shape you're in. And that was back in the beginning of 2019. It was the spring of 2019 and 265 people later, <laughs> we're going into another year of training. So that's pretty awesome. Um, before we go on, oh, Jim's here. Hey, Jim, with your maple syrup smelling money. Glad that you're here, buddy. Um, uh, anybody on the panel have any questions before I start rattling off any questions or any questions in the super chat yet? Um, is it, now the training thing that he's talking about. So he trains paramotor pilots. He's been doing that 15 years, or is that what? He's yeah, doing? I've been I've been training for I've been training for 15 years. Um, so I was under, so Paraflight has been, so I registered Paraflight in Northern Virginia, but I was working with Michael O'Daniel under Power Paramotoring USA, um, and he was in the DC metro market. So we had all, we basically have the DC Northern Virginia market. So we have just under 12 million people that we fish from. Um, so we have 160 acres in, in Bealton, Virginia. It's called the Flying Circus Aerodrome. So it's actually on Sunday, it's the oldest World War II air show on the planet that still operates. Um, you can Google it. It's called it's called the Flying Circus Aerodrome. It's in Bealton, Virginia. I'm in Virginia. But where are you? I'm on the east. I'm right by Virginia Beach, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. So I worked with the Navy down there. We were in Sandbridge. We did a lot of stuff up at Oceana, Sandbridge and Orange. I think it's Orange Airport. Um, it's north, like, you know, Blackwater Road. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just off of Blackwater Road. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, no I, I know, there. I know a lot of people want to probably know about this regulation of, uh, uh, our rules and regulations that we have, especially with, since that Hamas thing, it sounds like you got a couple of uh, insights of what could be coming around. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So what happened after the Hamas thing, obviously that put paramotoring like really on the radar. I mean, we would get, we got on the radar because people would basically piss people off. You know, they're flying over farms, they're flying over houses and they're buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. They get reported, stuff like that. So people are aware of what paramotoring is. Obviously with the Tucker, you know, community, he has exploded the awareness of what we do and the sport and stuff like that. So and then the Hamas thing happened. And so the military has been involved with paramotoring for quite a while. Um, so when the Hamas thing happened, that kind of put the capabilities of the paramotoring world on the radar as far as what you could do with a paramotor. So the talks that they it's kind of like a drone, basically like a drone certification. There's going to be like a test that you'll do online. It's not going to be anything that you're doing formally with an inspector or instructor or anything like that. It's just going to be something that's kind of be an online course. But I, to me, what I'm gathering is what they're more interested in is getting your name, your birth date, your social to run you through the system to make sure that you don't have any affiliations with any organizations that they're going to be concerned about that are going to red flag you. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to affect what we do. It's just going to be like kind of the drone world. It's it's going to bring more awareness to the community. So when people that are not following the rules or piss people off because they're flying low or buzzing houses over and over and over again, 
it's going to be a little easier to, I think, get rid of those people and 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 filter them out or, or pinpoint them. The problem again with paramotoring is like, you know, that people, I love people that'll send me a picture and they'll be like, Hey, is this one of your students? And I'm like, dude, from 500 feet, everybody looks the same. Like it, you, it doesn't matter what motor you're on, what you, you can't see the person. So that's it, the other thing. Are they going to make us put like an identifier on our wings so they can tell who it is in the air from the ground? I don't know. I mean, even if they did, I mean, have you, I mean, you look at a Quicksilver that flies over you at a, a thousand feet. I mean, can you even see the end number? You know what I mean? Unless you got a high power zoom. Right. Like you can't, even if you zoom in on your iPhone and HD, like it's, it's, it's still not clear enough to read. So, you know, like over in Europe, they have, you know, they have those numbers on a lot of the gliders and stuff like that. And they have that. It, it, so I, I don't know like to what extent it's going to happen, but it's definitely on the radar. Like they're, they're fully aware of the capabilities and what could happen and, and the stealthiness of it. So you know, I, like I said, I think they're going to be more interested in schools running names. So like the guys that are training at your local Walmart parking lot, you know, the, the those are the guys that are going to get, you know, scrubbed out real quick. The schools that are like actually like, you know, registered, they have a business, they've got an airport that they're using. Um, like, I, I don't think those guys are going to have problems. They're just going to run students just through a system. Like, you know, it's like going and getting a gun. You're going to run your background through a system and they're going to, you know, determine whether, you know, you're going to be approved or not to do the training. Approved or not to do the training for the instructors or for the students? For the student. So it'll give you a green light or a red light. So if there's anything that pops up that you've been flagged for, um, like if you had any type of interact, you know, interactive with any type of organizations that are that's red flagged by the government. You know, you know, I mean, you could pursue it. I mean, you could go out, you know, you could train it, but you're, you're probably going to end up getting either severely penal, you know, penalized or jail time. I mean, they'll throw they'll throw some extreme, you know, offense out there that it'll avoid whoever, you know, they get tangled with to and get involved with them. Hmm. Interesting. Um, any questions on the panel or did we get any questions in the super chat yet? Yes, Jim. Yeah. With the pilot's license, they don't do a background check on you, do you? Do they? No, but you, I mean, you're you're right. The thing with the pilot's license is, is I mean, you, you're registered, right? I mean, you're going, you're filling out a ton of paperwork for the FAA. So, I mean, they're not doing a background check on you, and I'm not saying they're doing a background check on you, but they've got your name, your date of birth, your social security number. Um, you know, they've got you know who you're training with, your instructor, the end number of the aircraft. So, I mean, you're not going to get away with anything, you know, I mean, if you rent an aircraft and you went off the radar in Bermuda Triangle, they know that, you know, where you were on the radar and who you were in the airplane. Um, so I think that's more of what they're, they're getting at. They're not, they're not running a, a background as much as just if you have any affiliations or you've been flagged for anything, you know, that could tie into, you know, getting into something that could get you in trouble. Yeah, it's like a registration more than yeah. anything. That's... It's like a drone. It's like a drone license, basically. I mean, I have a drone license and I mean, it was like, you know, like 50 questions, I think is what it was. I don't remember. I mean, it was a while ago that I did it. So it was just online. It was just a program online. It, to me, it reminded me of the the boater license, like the boat, like the in Virginia, you got, we were on Lake Anna and you got the boating license to operate the Coast Guard license. You go through that little program that they do. That's, that's kind of what I think is what they'll end up doing. Well, 
you know, there's a lot of, I mean, ultralights is just anything that's powered under 254 pounds. So, you know, you can have fixed wing ultralights, you know, you can have PPCs and PP, you know, Gs, you can have, you know, anything that flies under 254 pounds, including I've seen some, you know, that uh, even are drone-ish, right? Where you can sit down and got a bunch of drone uh, propellers and it kind of looks like a huge drone. So, I mean, you know, when it comes down to something like this, uh, you know, if somebody wants to do something bad, they can do it bad in ultralight. Anything. <laughs> yeah. Anything. I mean, you can go and build anything you want to, and you don't need to be trained anywhere either. I mean, you know, just any type of background, you can make an airplane or make sure. something that flies, you know, I mean, so. The guy landed a gyrocopter on the White House lawn, and they had no idea that he was coming in with all of that technology that they have we we actually did a flight from quantico up to andrews they were testing a radar system to see if they could pick up paramotors we had four paramotors foot launch we had one person on a trike and then we had two ppcs and we got escorted up the river by a helicopter and they were running these radar tests to see if they could pick us up and and they could see like blobs of something they couldn't identify what we were and then that dude, like, I don't know, what was it, five or six years ago, seven years ago, that landed the gyrocopter on the lawn, and they had no idea that he came in, came down the Potomac River. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, it's, honestly, the technology and drones are pretty insane. Like, we have, we have, where we are out at Shoestring, I don't know if they come out of Dover, Delaware, or if they come out of, like, Fort Meade, or down at, like, down towards, like, um, D.C., but we've had drones that, they look like big RC jets that are, you know, you see them, you know, they're moving quick um, and they, but they're, they're flown remotely from, you know, how at six, seven, four, 400 miles away, 300 miles away. We reported it and they were like, oh yeah, it's just drone activity. There's, you know, they didn't have, they didn't put a drone TAM on the TFRs on any of the sites. So we didn't know about it, but they, but they were pretty low. I mean, they weren't tangling with us, but you know, we could easily see what they were. And that they were not manned, you know, they were unmanned. So, so the, the radar actually did provide an echo from a paramotor? It didn't give them a, like, it just basically was like a hot air balloon. It was like a blob on the radar. So they could see something. Yeah. But, that, yeah. I, mean, like, I, yeah I mean, obviously no transponder or anything. So no. Like, nope. Well, they could tell something was there, though. So, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's something. Yeah. And they could tell oh. its speed. You know? And it would depend on your height as well. Yeah. <laughs> And we were at, this was 10 years ago. So I'm sure that they've improved on whatever they were testing. At that How point. high were you guys? We were at like 2,200 feet. And the reason we were at 2,200 feet is because we were, so if you look at the Potomac and you fly out, there's Reagan National Airport. There's Alexandria, Virginia, and then Reagan National, which is right on the river. And then directly across the river is like, you got the Washington Monument, the White House, and then Andrews as you go off to the right, like where the Woodrow Wilson Bridge is. So we were on the Maryland side at like 22, 20, and we were ranging 22, 2100 feet. We were up and down kind of flying the coast because there's, there was not a lot of outs. So we went into that altitude. We, we decided to fly at that altitude so that if the motors quit, we could get over to some type of farmland um, to get and not go into the river. So, but what was interesting is as we were coming up, there were like, there were planes coming into Reagan national because they were landing from the South because um, the winds were coming out of the North. So it was, it was wild. The fact that they had, you know, you had commercial jets, you know, that were, you know, within a mile of where you were just watching them come in on the left-hand side. And it's just one after the other. It was neat. Um, 
And then, you know, they, you know, they didn't give us a whole lot of information other than, yeah, you guys look like, basically they said we look like birds. So I don't know what a bird looks like on a radar because I don't look at radars, but so, but they, they definitely picked up that there was something there. It's us flying like a bird. So yeah. Are you, are you by right. DC? Are you, are you close to DC? Isn't there a lot of air for, you know, air? Yeah, I live in I live in Lancaster, PA now. So like I, I used to live oh. in Arlington, Virginia. So I used to so the flying circus where we teach in Beelton, that's our training field. It's 160 acres. Um, so I have that location and then the the school up here in PA at Shoestring Airport. And then we go down to New Bern. New Bern, we have we have a probably the coolest training facility in the world in New Bern. We have a 3,000 acre sod farm with a 45 person dormitory on site. Um, the problem is, is even in New Bern, we you know, all these two week programs or, you know, that we, we get, we've, we scheduled a couple of trainings and we get, you know, four or five days out of it and the weather, you know, goes to crap. So then we end up canceling it and we just stop doing that stuff because we get too many people that take time off of work and Airbnb, they have kids. So, um, we just kind of stopped with the, the week long, two week long stuff and just kind of do the weekend warrior is what we call it. Where, you know, and then we'll do, you know, if the weather's crappy up here in the summer, we'll go down the New Bern for like four or five days. If it's good Wednesday through Sunday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday through Sunday, we'll go down there and train if the weather permits it. So we we kind of bounce up and down the coast. And then anybody that's available that can do it, you know, we invite them along. Okay, pretty interesting. So, um, you know, with all the stuff with Hamas, um, paramotors and things like that, uh, making it to where we could have uh, something that can ping, you know, something like a ADSB out or something like that, that's similar, but uh, something that can show that we're there to, especially to other airplanes that are flying around, I think would be beneficial, you know, in the long run. I mean, obviously don't require them because uh, I don't want more requirements, but having the uh, ability to be, you know, be able to ping yourself wherever you are, especially when you have other air traffic, would be pretty beneficial. What do you think about that? Do you think that that will ever be part of regulations in the future? I don't think so. I I mean, they, they do have ADSB. You can get ADSB. There was a gentleman at Bad Apples last year. He showed me though. I have videos of it on my phone. He has the whole ADSB thing set up. One is, I think it was on a fresh breeze unit. And <laughs> I was looking at it and I was, the amount of wires that that dude had wrapped around a paramotor. I'm like, all you need to do is have one mishap and just you're, you're catching all that electrical. <laughs> so if they had something that was on your phone that you could just transpond off your phone and they do have like, oh. or, you know, like um, gaggle, I think if they did something on gaggle or, you know, for flight has some stuff that they can track. That's, I mean, with all the technology we have now, I was going to say, all I need is an app on your phone that connects with the tower that's close by and tells them, Hey, you're in the air at whatever altitude would be really simple to make. And they just need to put something at the airport to, identify us and we'd be good yeah i, I don't see that but I, you know instead of adsb which is still too way too expensive for a normal paranoid pilot they need they need something for the cell phone because most people has a cell phone and just yeah done yeah and even the adsb i mean they're down to like you know 1200 bucks for an adsb system but it's not even the, it's and i don't honestly i don't think it's the cost a lot for a lot of people it's going through and hooking it up like the battery that you need and all the little, you know, there's all these little like, like resistors, transponders that they have connected to it and they solder it. And it's like, they want, they run the antenna up the line sometimes the glider. And it's just like, wow. dude, 
you got to be, yeah, I mean, you got to MacGyver that together, I think, to make it work like efficient. Now, if you're if you're going to be a knucklehead and try to fly in, you know, that airspace, if you're going to fly in Class B airspace like DC or, you know, if you're going to go into the, you know, and file a flight plan or, you know, because you want to go through something like that, you're going to you're probably going to have the know the know how and, the you know, to do all that stuff if if you're going to you know try to fly in that type of airspace. But for the most of us, I mean, all we care about is kicking corn and soybeans. It's like. Yeah, yeah, I, I want the exact them. opposite. I want to stay away from the bigger. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know with the drones, they do have the ADSB on the drones, but I think it's just what ADSB in. Yeah. Do they have out also on on the big drones, or is it just in and then software that can kind of um, do it out? Do you I know think that's how that? depends on your pocketbook. I think if you go deep enough in your pocketbook, you can put anything you want on now. Um, like I said, the paramotor one, the unit for the paramotor is only about three inches long. It's maybe two inches by three inches long. So you can easily throw that on a drone, like an Inspire, a DJI Inspire that holds like a, you know, like an 8K camera, like a Canon camera. Right. You can really put that on there. It's not going to, it's not like it's going to kill your battery or anything like that because of the weight. It's a transceiver? Yeah, you can, Um, I can tell you. Hold just on. The, the the receiver yeah because i know yeah because pretty much anything you can get an adsb in you know it's just uh paying out from where you are that's that's the problem unfortunately is that's where the money is because like you said four flight has it you know the adsb in yeah uh, hold on i'm looking up this site let me see if i can find it but I also know too that the ones for the drones are for unmanned, and you're not allowed to put an unmanned ADSB on something that's manned, like a ultralight. Let me see. These are these are expensive ones, but here's one here that's this, the same size. It's by Air. It's by Aircraft Spruce. It's two thousand. It's twenty one hundred bucks. It's tail beacon nav light ADSB out TSO transponder. It's two, two, two by four. That's how big it is. Two inches by four inches. It's super small. Yeah. And if they got something that's like that, that you can plug in and charge up, you know, I mean, we're only out there flying for what, maybe what, <laughs> three hours max. Yeah. You know, so any type of, you know, power thing that we can put on it, kind of like with, uh, you know, with our GoPros, we can extend our GoPro batteries with, uh, you know, battery pack. So See that that's one thing I think will eventually happen. We'll, we're we're going to have to have some sort of ADSB in and out, something like that, at least, or at least something that pings outward, and probably it's going to go through gaggle, I would yes. or something like that that you can open up. Uh, well, gaggle's very popular. You know, already now you can see where other airplanes mm -hmm. are in your vicinity. It's helped me out, saved me a bunch of times. Yeah, I love gaggle. The fine the thing that I thought we were at Purden's fly-in and we flew, we flew a lot of hours at Purden's fly-in. And the thing about gaggle is it worked about 50% of the time. Like it would just fall off. Like it would just stop and it would never reconnect again unless I opened like my phone out and started it back up again. Um, but when it does work, it works well. I mean, it's a really it's an awesome app. So, but, and even when we fly local here, I would say maybe 50 to 60% of the time it's good. And then it just, it just stops working and then it, it, it just doesn't reconnect. So like PPG flyer, stuff like that. Like I find if that gets disconnected, it reconnects and there's a gap where you were, where it left off and then where you started back up again. 
and it records that information. But my gaggle stuff, it lost everything in that in that window that it showed from where it shut off until we landed. Or yeah. I, back up. I think gaggle gets confused when there's a lot of pilots in the air. Yeah. And they're on the same same group because I I've never have any troubles with gaggle except if I go to a fly in. Yeah. And see, we always have like 40, like in October, we had like 42 people show up where we were flying at. So, and that's the last time that I used it and it dropped, it, it, it recorded for about 30 minutes and we were all in one group going in the, all the same direction because we did like a, like a 50 mile cross country. And then it about 20, 30 minutes in it stopped. But that makes sense. You're right. That's every time that I've been bad apples, burdens out at Moe's. So the circus that's when it always it always stops it could be just the internet thing because i know that if i go into a crowded place you know even the city and certain spots you can't get any signal or as far as internet even though you have like you know five bars you know because everyone's you know using the uh, internet so maybe that's what's going on is that the internet's just being overloaded in that certain area with all the pilots yeah the bandwidth yeah yeah but yeah, I think, I mean, it's, I, it's, I, it, I mean, strobe lights are great, but I, I'll, I mean, I've been flying, you know, like commercial stuff for a long time. And I can tell you right now, even in a helicopter at a hundred knots, you're not looking for a paramotor. So, you know, that's flying 20 miles an hour. I mean, you can see them, but if you had, if you, if you had an idea that, you know, or just a vicinity of where they were operating at, even if they're 25 feet above the ground, just so that you knew that they were there. That would that would be a super handy thing to have to prevent anybody you know getting hit or you know getting into trouble. Well, most pilots fly with poor flight, don't they? No, because they don't pay four hundred bucks a year for. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Some pilots don't even fly with a radio. Yeah, most of the people that I've been, almost all the flyings that I've been to. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, pilot. uh, Sorry, I mean. Private pilots or sports. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost all. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And so if you're using gaggle, then you have ADSB out for that particular. It's not ADSB out, but anybody on flight can see you. Yeah. So it's it's pretty good that way. I mean, when aside from paramotors, I mean, if you're flying with paramotors, it's not that big of a deal because you know to be looking out for everybody. But sure. So I'm Jim, concerned you... about the airplanes that are half asleep on autopilot, just letting going. <laughs> are, Jim, are you saying that uh, people that have gaggle, people that have the four flight can see us? Yep. Yep. There's a setting on there. I think it's called safe fly and you set it up and then you put your name in there or whatever your call sign is going to be. And they, it tells them that you're in the area tells you the altitude it tells the same thing that you receive when you're flying and you and it says there's an airplane at seven o'clock at five thousand feet they get that too yeah we had so an example we have i love so i you know the the what are the exola why am i drawing a blank what are the helmets the um nivolo helmets and like the icaro and all that stuff i used to use that stuff and you know train with that stuff for years and then I went to when when the uh, Sky Cowboy came out with the Bose, the A20 and the A30 helmets set up. I had a bunch of A20s from the R44. So I took the A20s and I threw them on those helmets. 
And it's crazy. We were, I've been flying with those Bose helmets now for about a year and a half, and I will never go back to another one of those helmets. But what's cool about it is, is not only are you plugged into your GA radio, but I am plugged into my phone so I can hear what's going on through gaggle or for, I have four flight. So with the last time it was, it wasn't October, it was probably back in like September. We took off and we were flying towards the Susquehanna river. And there was a King air that actually saw us, that saw my gaggle and, and radioed to me on air frequency. And we were chatting and he literally called me and he's like, yeah, I'm coming up. I'll be coming up from your right hand side. And as I turned and looked, he was probably almost eye level with me. <laughs> I was like, it was, it was almost a, a brown trail moment out to the river, but I, I climbed up above him because I didn't want to get stuck in that, that rotor wash. But that was, yeah, that was, so they do, they can see the gaggle on the, if they have, if you have that setting set up. So they would you have might, to, you might have, have, to have the, the setting gym to how to do that for people. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll take a look on here. It's I think it's in settings. So you're saying that we on Gaggle have to turn on a setting for people that have four flight to be able to see us? Yeah. Yeah. It's called okay. Safe Sky. If you go into settings and then you go into recorder settings and you scroll down, it'll say integrations and there's a safe sky. And where do you find that? Under what? Okay, I'll start again here. Uh, so you go into Gaggle, then uh -huh. you go to Profile, which Profile. is down in the bottom right corner. Gotcha. Then you go to the gear up in the top right corner. Okay. And then you scroll. Then you go to Recorder Settings. Recorder Settings, okay. And then you scroll down. Uh-huh. And you'll see safe sky. Okay, safe sky. You go to that, you can enable it, you can set up a call sign, and then you can also put privacy mode in there. Okay, yeah, I already have that enabled. Is that just enabled by default? No, we did that on the show last year sometime. Okay, what is that other one? I see um, under safe sky, I see GDL90. What's that? I've, I have never looked into that. Okay. Because that was not enabled, and I haven't seen that before. But I do well, remember. I, this, I think that's new. The integrations. So. It's got a radio next to it. So. What are those um those orange things that you used to be able to buy at, like, REI, that if you're in an emergency, you take it hiking, climbing, they just transpond, like if something happens, if you, you know, if you're flying and all of a sudden you just immediately like abrupt stop or you have an impact, it sends out the, um, you know what I'm talking about? It sends out like the frequency to like a re rescue response. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. it's called. Oh, Gaggle has something similar to that where it, it texts or calls Yeah, the, the number. Um, I've never tried it out, but. And then. And that same screen, that setting screen, if you go to Bluetooth devices, so that's if you have that Bose, if you're flying with that Bose or you have a Navolo with the Bluetooth, you just connect it to the Bluetooth. So that way, so as when I key, when I key my 122.9, my, you know, GA frequency that I'm talking to all the people that I'm flying with, if they scan, they'll hear us chattering. And then that little gaggle, my little pair of flight LLC call sign pops up. 
and it shows them that, you know, and they obviously know you're an ultralight because it's, I have a little glider, you know what I mean? It's a little paraglider. That's like a little picture. If they got that, depending on the settings they have set up on the screen that they're looking at, but most people fly with an iPad. So mm -hmm. you're talking about the spot X, the satellite communicator. Yeah. So your communication setup, okay, it ties in with the GA radio and it ties in with your phone, mm -hmm. right? So that means you could listen to music. If you want I to can, yeah. So I can, so I can put on Amazon. So typically, cell phone like Amazon Music, we have Spotify and Amazon. It's good to like a thousand feet, and then you just lose the the signal. So the GPS is always locked in on the phone, but a thousand feet is when I lose cell phone signal almost every single time. Hmm. So it, it works up to a thousand feet. And the cool part with those bows is everything can be Bluetooth into it. So like gaggles blooped into it. And then I've got my, I can have music Bluetooth into it and then my radio connector. But I also have the ability to audio jack uh, a connector. If you go to skycowboy.com, sky, I think it's Sky Cowboy USA. He's a retired veteran. He's actually in Stafford, Virginia. Um, that's where the helmet is with the bows. He, he, he's doing the A30s now too. The A30s just have a little bit better uh, ASSI noise canceling than the A20s do, but I'm deaf, like 30% deaf, so it, I don't need any more noise canceling. Okay, so it includes the Bose, because uh, I mean Bose has the best freaking noise canceling around. Yeah, yeah. It's um, go to the go to Sky Cowboy. You want me to go get it? I can show it to you. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yeah, pull up Sky Cowboy, whatever manufacturing or whatever it is. It'll come up. Aviation, Sky Cowboy Aviation. I looked for that GDL 90. It looks like it's an ADSB. It's on the screen right now, so I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a, is that what the, from Gaggle? Yeah. That says, four, it said 4,000 port, port 4,000. Right. Man, you got to be a member of the rich and famous to get one of these. <laughs> these things are expensive. What does that thing cost? Unless I'm looking, I'm seeing $2,375. Go ahead and put that on the screen if you want to. I might be looking at the wrong thing. Okay. You talking about the helmet? I'm going to pull it up on the screen. Honestly, so what happened was, is this is the best way to do it. If you want to, if you want to get into the helmet is get, don't get the A30s. The A30s just came out last year. There it is. So that's my helmet there in the top left. Okay, so that's the 2375. Yeah. So I don't but that's the A30. I have the I use the A20. So you can do So the A30s came out last year from Bose and I had a bunch of the A20s from the helicopter so I'm like I'm not spending all that money for a new set of headphones when I have four pretty much brand new ones. Yeah. So what you can do is do the DYI kit which is there on the right it's 498 bucks and then it gives you they give you the stirrups for the Bose. And the thing is, is when the A30s came out, everyone put their A20s on eBay. So just pick up the A20s for like 600 bucks and then you pay 500 for the helmet. So you're in it for an Evolo cost and you just got to do it yourself. So and then you obviously just got to read the description of eBay to make sure that they're not selling you junk. Because if they, a lot of these guys, they'll throw those bows out there in those airplanes that sit outside like North Carolina. Like every time I go down and see Darren, you know, there's like five airplanes sitting out there baking in the sun all year. Yeah, with, with the headset, just yeah, just dangling. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, I mean, you don't want to buy that crap. You want something that's like hanger kept or like, you know, you, you get a lot of these guys that get in, you know, oh, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to get my fixed wing and then they get out of it. And then they throw this stuff on eBay. So that one up there for $2,000, 
that has a good bows on it that's comfortable. Is that what that is? Yeah. So I can get mine too and show it to you if you want to see it. Because you can get, so like I said, 820, the the bump helmet, it's called the Wendy bump helmet. Um, and then it, you can get the GoPro mount that goes right onto it. And then if you get the really thick pads, it goes over your ear completely. And the ANS noise canceling, I, I'll be honest, I because like I said, I'm about 20% deaf in each year from flying for all the years that I've been flying. And I was out with the guys at my field and the, I was I was in front of them and, but we were kind of taken off, like all kind of spread out like a baseball diamond. And I didn't hear the three guys behind me take off when I, I had that on with my music going. I had no, I turned around to look and I was like, Hey guy. And they were gone. <laughs> I was like, where'd you guys go? And they were like, Oh, we took off like two minutes ago. So I never heard anything. I've still got sticker shock over there. I mean, I was ready to buy that freaking thing. <laughs> and I saw the price. I'm like, Holy crap. Even the good deal sounds like a lot of money to me. If I, yeah. Well, if I get, if I don't know if I'm going to make it to any fly-ins this year, um, just because we have a lot of stuff going on. But if I get down there, I have two of the bows. I converted two of my A20s into bows. I'll let you fly with it one time. And I'm telling you, it is a game changer. Really? Oh, yeah. Like you can connect your phone, your music and everything to it. And just the community, you know, if you talk to anybody when you're up there, it is like, it is amazing. Yeah. Well, we've, and we've, we've, talked about this ad nauseum i mean as far as you know good communication and it's not a volume issue it's a clarity issue yeah. you know when yeah. we're speaking and i can talk and communicate to the ga you know group because i kind of know what to sure. expect that they're gonna say you know and i can kind of fill in the gaps but i mean after you after you ask someone to repeat something 10 times you kind of feel like an idiot you know yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah in this the, the, i don't even think even with my loss of hearing, I think my volume is up like 50% on the bows when yeah. I turn ANS on. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's so clear. And the music, it's like listening to a, you know, like gym, like the little, I have the little bows that goes in your ear. It's the same quality as what I listen to when I go to the gym. That's what I'm using now, the wireless ones. Yeah. Are you using wireless? I'm using the wired still. Well, they, I sent in the wired to get repaired or whatever, or warranty, and they sent me back the wired version, and I just never, I didn't complain. And it does a great job. Yeah. But they yeah, are, are you able to talk with the wireless ones? I don't know. I Like I said, yeah. I kind of gave up. They're um, just like, I, they're like AirPods, like Apple AirPods. They're, the Bose, oh, I think, yeah. is way better than the Apple AirPods. Like, I was in the car, and I had the Bose in, and they were like, what do you want? Like, are you on your car Bluetooth? And I'm like, no, it's just the Bose wire, you know, just the whatever the little earbuds are. Yeah, but now when I'm flying, I can't, I can't talk on it. Which yeah. is why I got the wired because the wires that comes down, that's the microphone. I just put some, uh, some foam around it. There, I can, I can talk with my Bose on. Yeah. So there is actually yeah. a site in California that if you you can put, I have it on there. It's this little leather sleeve that goes over the boom and it's for ultralight flying without a windscreen. And it, so I had a little bit of air cause it's so sensitive. It picks up everything. So I had a little bit of air noise picked up. And then in the mic, when I would talk, if we were like, cause there were like maybe eight or nine of us that we flew. Um, we flew in Indiana. We were out at Richard Turner's flying and we all were on Bluetooth. We just called each other mm -hmm. and they were like, man, somebody, you could hear the, the, the noise, the air noise. And I had bought the little thing that go over the boom and I just didn't install it. And I landed, installed it. And then we flew that night 
and it was no everyone was like dude it is so clear it's like you're sitting here at a bar talking with me with no noise it was insane so um it's like seven bucks eight bucks so do your a20s do they have bluetooth built into them they do yeah okay because they have a separate device that you can get so that it'll have bluetooth connection and then you can connect it to your rate your nav radio as well yeah yeah i if you're gonna buy them on eBay, like I said, when the 830s came out, everyone sold the A20s. Just pick them up on eBay, but make sure they're Bluetooth. I've the got only... so many sets of radios now. <laughs> it's crazy. Dude, I know. I, I Over the years, I think for the school, I had like 10 Icaro helmets, you know, those, those Solar X helmets from Javier at my, you know, Aerolite. And I just, I'm like, so people were like, hey, can I just buy this from you? So I would just I just got a belly full because the wires would break or they'd have an issue or something was always wrong with them. You couldn't hear. You could hear, but you couldn't talk. So I just students would be like, hey, I'll give you 200 bucks. I would like, take it. So I got rid of all of it. And then once I, you know, once that adapter, that DYI came out from Sky Cowboy and I converted the Bose, I'll never go back to it. And I've even let students use the Bose helmets. Like the, I have a couple of older guys that I was a little worried about. And I was like, well, I know if they wear this, they're in trikes. I was just like, I know if they wear this, they'll be able to hear me crystal clear. So, and I just call them on the phone and just that way we don't have to push any buttons or anything. And I just have a conversation with them. And they were like, man, that's insane. And of course they're like, yeah, I want to buy this. And I'm like, well, it's about 2,200 bucks. They're like, yeah, forget it. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what was uh, what I've been looking at for my. I'm gonna get eventually. I'll get another helmet, but I was looking at the tactical helmets. That's what I have. Yeah, yeah. And so that's basically it, right? Where you yeah, can. Do you want me to go get it? Or, yeah. We, Let we me show it to you. Hold on a second. I'll get it. That, that would be really cool. You know what I'm talking about, Sean? The tactical helmets, like. Yeah, I I think Kevin uh, bought one. Kevin, tell us about that tactical one, and don't forget to unmute. Kevin, get to I button. Sorry. Yeah, I went to. Uh, I found one on. Uh, it's called Hard Headed Veterans. Uh, they've got some pretty good uh, bump helmets uh, that uh, uh, aren't quite as expensive as your windy helmets that he was talking about. Uh, maybe a hundred dollars less or so. I think I ended up spending about uh, two hundred and thirty bucks, maybe. So uh, it's comfortable. Um, I, I like it. So. This is, it's, it's a Wendy bump helmet. It's a tactical helmet. So you can buy it at any, any store. The only thing that I will tell you, so it's just a regular. That's the. Oh yeah. Okay. So you, you bought the helmet and then you added the bows to it. Yeah. Right? And then what you need is these stirrups. So see these little plastic stirrups right here. Yep. These guys, that's what you need. So that's the, the part of the DIY kit. And you don't need to use Bose. You can use Clarks. You can use like, there's a bunch of decent headsets out there. They're just, to me, I think Bose is definitely the best clarity. And it's the same connection that we use on the Icaro helmet. So, I mean, you don't even need to buy one of these helmets. You can could just buy the Bose, buy the DYI stirrups for 75 bucks from his site and take your Icaro helmet and put the Bose right on your current helmet. Because it's the same connection that we use on the uh, the Icaro or the, uh, the Navolo helmets. Yeah, but I mean, what makes the tactical helmet so useful is, can you turn it, it's got the, like, there's a, that yeah, the square, the square uh, plate, it, that's like a standard thing, right? 
mm -hmm. kind of standard for connections and stuff like that. Yeah. Man, that's like super handy. And some of them you can like put a little portable battery back there, you know, for your yeah. GoPro and. Yeah. And then you can, uh, I have the visor and then this, I, I have the, I mean, not that any of you guys are doing stuff, but I, I mean, I'll fly with the NVGs and that's where my NVGs go. The night vision. Uh-huh. So they, you just take off the GoPro and put the NVG adapter on there. Man, that, that is too cool. I mean, to me, it's, it seems like if I had to do it all over again, I mean, the Akaro is a great helmet, but I mean, it's kind of hard to attach certain things to it when it's like all curved. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and you don't have yeah. the, the good seal that you can tape and stuff, but. So where's the Bluetooth on that? It's built into the radio. There's the brain. So this is the Bose brain. This is, So my only complaint that I will tell you is the wire is super long. And then like the Bose brain that it goes into. Like, so I have to like feed it through my chest harness where my radio is. And then I kind of feed it back through and I connect it to like my torque strap. And then I connect it into the radio. That's the only complaint I have is like if I do, like I have, um, I have a foot launch, uh, a, a Parajet, a Mav Max XL that I do tandems on. I've got the tandem set up with it. And it's a it's a great unit to do tandems with it, but when the passengers run, their elbows sometimes will hit the buckles, like the the connecting buckles. These guys, and they yeah. bump the wires loose. And on one of my flights, I actually broke the the GA adapter that goes into the radio because the the cable came out and it's long, and it actually got caught on my knee, and I ripped the GA connectors out of the radio. And it shorted the wire out. And of course, that's like a hundred bucks to replace. So, and it was just a, it was a, you know, it was just an instructional flight. I was taking the dude up and then it costed me 150 bucks to repair all the pins and stuff. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Was... That's uh that was my problem too. I, I got a one that's called a UFQ and it makes any, uh, any aviation headset into Bluetooth setup. Ah. And it's exactly like that. It, and it's really long art. So you got to loop it around in the front here right. and then you got to hook it into your radio. <laughs> it's just, it's a monstrosity of a connection. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. And then it, that's my only complaint with them, with the bows. And then that's the cover that I was telling you about. So it's got where you talk into it and then it's got the noise canceling in the back. And it's literally, it's just like a rubber band that goes on the bottom of it. And that eliminates all the stat. You can put this on any paramotor that's got a no any type of noise canceling or like the deluxe comm systems. If you have an older one, where you do you get that on that? Um, it's from that site. Just Google noise, Bose noise, Google Bose A20 noise canceling mic boom cover. And the site is in California. Like I said, it was like $7.98, $7.98 for that cover. It's like a real thick padded leather cover with the holes in it. And I put it on my Icaro helmet and it made a world of difference because it's just a deluxe comm helmet. Are those better than dead cats? I've never used those. Well, or the or the, the foamy thing, you know, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I ripped the foamy thing off and just put this on there. And it just, it just, it eliminates so much more of the static noise when you communicate. Actually, that's some good information right there. And even I can afford eight bucks. 
Yeah, yeah. and having a big yeah. pad in front of you when you're when you're flying, other than keeping, <laughs> other than keeping you really warm, right? Wow, I'm really warm right now, but I can't see. Yeah. yeah, if you like traffic and you're like between <laughs> ten o'clock and two o'clock, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be able to see you. <laughs> <Dead cat. laughs> Maybe a power line, you know, right there. <laughs> yeah, I gotta be careful about those things. Sean, Sean told you guys about that last week. <laughs> what yeah, not being but, able to see with the with the uh, mask on? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That was crazy. Um. So, anyways, uh, tell us about your school, and uh, you have different. Um. You have the uh, the different wings and different paramotors, and you said a lot of people have questions about that. So, what yeah. are some of the things that you have, and what are some of the questions that people have been asking you? So gliders so there's a couple of things with gliders that i have confirmed with mac para and this this so first of all gliders pretty much across the board at this point are pretty safe like a lot of people are like they, i get calls about reserves you know you know what are the, what are the odds of a collapse it doesn't really matter the manufacturer anymore if the glider is like 2020 or newer the the, the gliders are pretty resistant to collapse i mean you got to be in some pretty gnarly air if you're you know worried about collapse um on a paramotor because the paramotor is pushing you through the crappy air so you're slicing through it and if you're on a reflex wing people are like well i want to fly you know i, I don't want to fly i want to fly an en wing versus a, um, a reflex wing and i will tell you like the reflex wings it I have seen some of the EN wings that we've got, like we got A and B EN wing pilots that are out here because they're free flyers. They like to go down to Virginia and fly out at like Front Royal and stuff like that. And I have actually seen those guys have more wingtip tucks than I've ever seen on, a, than I've ever, I've never seen a reflex wing wingtip tuck on some of the areas that we fly out there in Shenandoah, like out towards Front Royal. Um, so there, the, the, the Charger 2, which is the wing that, everyone a lot of people know especially at fly-ins i mean it's you, you got to do some really gnarly stupid stuff i've actually barrel rolled and flipped a charger too and i threw the brakes and the wing basically just reset itself with almost no input i mean it's like it's it, it's pretty resilient so that's that's number one number two is they're not releasing a charger three everyone keeps emailing me and calling me about a charger three there is no charger three coming out I talked to Peter last week privately on WhatsApp at MacPara in Czech Republic. There is no Charger 3. There is a few things coming, but it probably won't arrive until 2025. It has nothing to do with the Charger, though. Um, they just released the Colorado 2. So the Colorado 2 came out in 2023. Um, there was about 100 and, 100 and I don't know exactly, but it was 100 and some orders for the Colorado 2. And at the fly-ins that we did, we had almost 100 and I think, I want to say 181 people flew that glider. Um, we had a bunch of demos. We had them out all over the country and everyone, everyone wanted me to like send them a demo. And it's like, you understand, like people don't understand that. Like I pay for all this. Like I am not sending a $4,000 glider for you to just shred. Um, and I'm telling you, I have sent some wings out as demos and I've gotten them back with a check. And they're like, just fill in whatever it costs to repair it. And I'm like, dude, like that, that money, I, I have to, that comes out of my pocket. So if, if, when we have those events and we have all, you know, we had almost every size available at a lot of these events, if you just weren't able to get up to an event, I'm sorry. Like 
I just, you know, it, you're talking like, you know, $40,000 to put, you know, these gliders out in the country. And then there's no insurance for this stuff. And then, you know, people are in the desert. They, they drag it through the dirt, the, the brush cactus. I had a wing came back that had cactus um, briars in it, like spikes in it. Um, so the Colorado two is a huge hit. Um, they are not releasing a charger three. Everyone keeps think, telling me they're going to release a charger three. I'm like, that's false information. They are, they do have some paramotor stuff in the works, but not for 2024. Um, they did release a Verve, which is a free flight wing. It's an Ian, uh, C wing. It's uh, a little bit sportier than the Alon. And that apparently the couple of orders that have gone out, people absolutely love that wing. I have a guy right now down in Columbia, South America, flying the Elon three. And he was like, this wing is insane. So I'm not a big free flyer. I've done free flying, but I, I can't really speak, you know, a whole lot about the free flying world because I just don't fly those, that product. Um, motors, motor maintenance. I've had, I probably get 40 or 50 emails a month about motor maintenance. So Every time that you fly, so at the end of the day, and I'm not talking about you fly in the morning and then you fly evening. I'm talking about you fly in the morning, you fly in the evening, or you fly during the day if you're at the beach or if you're just, if you're out there, like some of the guys that fly all day long. At the end of the day, if you are flying for several hours, it is a two-stroke motor. Check your head bolts. Check your spark plug. Check your Manifold, the two 10 millimeter nuts, because most of you guys are on a Moster or an Atom 80. Check the 10 millimeter nuts on the Moster, the little copper bolts, the manifold bolts. Bolts. If your motor is new and it's under 10 hours, they are going to loosen up. Stop putting head temp gauges under a spark plug, especially under a spark plug with a crush washer. If you're going to leave the crush washer and then you put the copper ring underneath of it, you're going to get air inside of that and it's going to melt your engine apart. There was a guy, I think Will posted, I'll get to it, or somebody posted to it. There was a guy that has like a, a you know, a, a quarter size hole in the middle of his piston. And if you look around the perimeter of the cylinder, it's covered in oil. That tells me that that motor has been bubbling oil from the head for probably 25 hours because it's so burned into the aluminum head, that doesn't happen if your motor is like semi-maintained. So at the end of the day, you gotta check your head bolts, you gotta check your spark plug. I have these guys who are like, well, I've got like a hundred hours on my BR9ES or whatever. And it's like, dude, every 15 hours, you're supposed to get rid of that spark plug and put a new one in there. And it's not because those spark plugs going is failing, it's the oil that you're mixing with that fuel that gags up the diode in the spark plug. So the not the number is the temperature of which the spark plug burns. So everyone typically runs those BR90S spark plugs. So the R in the spark plug number is a resistor plug. So if you have a resistor plug and you have a resistor plug cap and you can't communicate, it's because the two R's create the radio frequency static that is in the frequency of the band of the radio that does not let you communicate or hear. So you'll also hear the motor when you go to power. So if you're going to power and you hear the motor whirring inside of your helmet, that's because you have a resistor plug and a resistor cap. So they have a couple of options. One, get rid of the resistor cap and just get a regular plug cap. Two, you can get these little, they look like they're about maybe 
three quarters of an inch is long and you can get them on Amazon and they're these, they, they bite on top of the, the coil wire and they will eliminate all of that static. So like Will said earlier, I can't hear, you know, you've got to ask 10 times because the radio, you know, clarity sucks. If you put one of those on the coil wire, it'll really sharpen the radio sound inside of the helmet. The so, ferrite barrel. Yes. Little ferrite barrels, yeah. Yeah, they work really well. They do. Um, Actually, I did that and it did help. But I can want to say, if you're going to do that, tape the barrel. Because when you, when you put it on there, it snaps. And I've actually had one come off. So I put a little... Yeah, black electrical tape around it. So that's an, that's another solution. So if you're running in hot temperatures, like I get these guys like in Arizona that'll send me their motors. And I mean, I rebuilt probably, I've rebuilt, I don't know, 40 motors last year. There was a motor in Arizona. I mean, I don't even know how this guy got the hours out of it. I mean, he had literally almost killed the entire diameter of the piston, almost up to the piston wall. I mean, how he made it as far as he did on this motor. So I rebuilt the motor. I sent it back out to him and I told him in the summer, run a 10, run a BR 10. And the 10, the higher the number, the cooler the plug runs. So you can run the same fuel and oil mixture, but run a higher number in the summer because it runs the plug a little cooler so that you don't add that extra heat inside of the, the, the engine. The other thing is, is everyone uses the modal oil that they recommend from Viterazzi. So we, and I'm not going to go into the conversation that I had with Viterazzi because you guys, I, I don't want to get into a, a political thing on the online. I'm telling mm -hmm. you right now, 1,067 students, I think we've had in 15 years of training, I think I've had 12, maybe 15 motors have hold, put holes in them. We use Amsoil, Sabre. Amsoil Saber, and we run it at 50 to one. It's a hundred to one mix. It's the oil that they run in an 8,000 horsepower nitro drag car down a track at 400 miles an hour in less than three seconds. If it can withstand that, your little crappy redneck lawn chair flying paramotor is going to be perfectly fine. So the modal oil tends to run on a little bit hotter and it likes to build up a really thick carbon footprint on the top of the piston. I can show you pictures in my phone of a modal piston. All I gotta do is remove the head of the motor or I use my camera and I stick it down in the motor and I can tell you right away, not even looking at your gas tank, what, what oil you're running in there. So- That's how Viterazzi, when they do their maintenance, when they do their warranty work, isn't that how they can tell what kind of, they can yeah. tell? For yeah. the gunk that's built and my re the response I got from Viterazzi is, well, Mr. Brian, we are in the business of parts. We want to, we're in the business of motors and parts. That's what I, that's the, the short version <laughs> of the answer that I received. So it, it builds up a really thick carbon footprint on the piston. Well, what happens is, is, is you're flying and that carbon footprint, it starts to become like a coal in fire. So think about a campfire. You got all the coals at the end of the night. Well, that carbon starts to turn into those coals. And that's all that additional heat in the top of that cylinder head. The Amsoil has a carbon buildup, but it's very minimal at 100 to 150 hours versus the modal oil. So, and again, I'm not telling you to do it if you're going to be by the book and you're going to stay by the warranty because you got to fill out the warranty paperwork. 
In 20 years that I've been flying, the few warranty things that I've sent in to Viterazzi, nothing has ever been approved. So it's like, at this point, I mean, what are you warrantying anyway? Um, I also, we don't have a lot of cracks and stuff like that in our mufflers. Um, every five hours, go through the entire engine. So you're going to check the four head bolts. You're going to check, make sure your spark plug is torqued down. You're going to check the two 10 millimeter manifold bolts, bolts that hold on the, the, the tune pipe. There's, there's three little 10 millimeter nuts that hold on the silencer. There's a little, I think it's an M5 Allen key that holds that little bracket around the silencer. That thing almost on every engine that I check is I can almost take it off by hand. And a lot of them come off in flight, end up going through your prop. So you've got to check that little, that little Allen key. You got to remove the air box. You got to check the four little reed valve. I think those are fives, M5s. And then you got to check the two little Allen keys inside of the little flange on the carburetor. Because those two little Allen keys, and you don't want to over tighten them because those that's a plastic flange. So you'll crack the plastic flange. So you just have to snug them up. So all of that, when that loosens up, that's all additional air going into the fire, right? So think about your campfire. When you blow air on it, it really flames up, right? So that's all this additional air that you're putting into that combustion and you're overheating that cylinder. And then you start to lose loss of power. You know, oh, it's, you know, you lean forward and the motor shuts off. It's because what you've done is you've taken the top off of that piston. If you have the older motors and you go to power and it starts to go into power and then it just goes out or it almost shuts off or stalls, the older motors, 90% of the repair is that little black vacuum tube that goes from the carburetor over to the crankcase. So the, you know, the, the jug sits up here, you got the crankcase, you got where your, your, you know, your prop pulleys are. And then you've got, there's a little, there's a nipple on the crankcase and then there's a nipple on the carburetor and there's a little black hose. That's a vacuum hose. That hose is very important. The length is exactly the length that it was on the motor that when you received it, there's an inner dimension of compression in the bottom of that jug. And if you have that low, that hose too long, it changes the vacuum in the circuits of the system. So then the motor won't run properly or it'll feel like the coil is missing. So you have to find the exact length. So when you get the hose from like skysportsusa.net or whatever, and it's a little longer, lay it next to the one that you pulled off and then measure it and then cut it exactly the same length and put it back on there. I cannot tell you how many motors I've had guys rebuild the entire motor and they did a great job. And the only thing they did was they didn't cut that hose to the right length. And, you know, I you, you learned that from personal experience, didn't you? Didn't I you did. Have... I met a guy with the old Parajet with the one, I think it was a 172, 175. I'm sure somebody on there will know what it was. It was the old Parajet motor. He was from Maryland. He came down the New Bern, North Carolina. And this dude was with me for like three days. And I went through this entire motor. I tore the entire motor apart. We took the crankcase apart. And I, I miked the entire inner guts of the crankcase. And I did all the math to figure out what the, the spatial dimension of the bottom of the crank was for, that the vacuum needed. 
And I literally took the hose that he had on there and I nipped a quarter. And he had sent this motor to like three different people, like John Erickson to like, I forget who else had the motor and tore it apart. So we finally, I nipped a quarter inch off of this vacuum hose and it went right to power. And he was like, holy cow. He couldn't believe that we fixed it. And he still flies it to this day. Um, so it's it, it took me, I, I didn't know this, but that was the last thing that I could think of that could be the problem. And that's, it. like I said, it took me almost a, a full day to tear this apart because I had to split the crank, mic it all out, and then we put it all back together. So it took a full day to do all that. Um, so that length is extremely important. The new carbs don't have that. So you, it's not something that you have to worry about. If you have the hiccup where you lean forward, you're, you're warming the motor up and you lean forward and the motor conks out, 90% of the time, replace your fuel line. Replace the fuel line in the gas tank and then from the tank up to the carburetor. And another thing too, I've noticed too, that happens, it could be your uh, compression port, that little small um, hole um, when you open up your piston, that little hole could be full of gunk. Yeah, so that's full of carbon. So yep. you got to take a, if you take a little screwdriver bit, or I'm sorry, a little a drill bit, I recommend that you do it by hand because I've had guys that take, they've seen the videos that I've posted on YouTube and they'll go in there and they'll go in with a drill and they'll miss and they'll go right down the inside of the jug with the drill bit. And then they try to use sandpaper and polish it out. And then the rings get caught on it. It becomes a whole fiasco. So you can use a drill bit and just use your hand and work it down into that little hole. Another tool that is really good, go on to Amazon and get a dental, like a, like a human dental pick. They're razor sharp on the edge because they're like designed to scrape plaque off of your teeth. So if you have a dental pick, get a straight one. It's got like, it literally looks like a javelin spike on the end of it. And you can use that and you can kind of bore that carbon out of that decompression port. I've also um, noticed too that um, the the uh, the ones that you can put into a drill, you know, with the big block on the end, I forgot what those are called. Instead of you just, you know, using a, a chuck. Yes. The, the drill bits that had the big block on the end, they won't slide down if you drop it. Yeah. The, um, the ones that go on like an impact gun. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, any of those, what you can even get a little hand turn drill too, that you just turn it like a regular, like, I don't know, like you're, like you're winding a toy up or something. You can turn it and, it and you put the drill in the end of it. You can use that too. You can get them at like you, Lowe's Home Depot. You can find them on Amazon, but you got to be really careful not to scratch the jug. So five hours, you're going to do your head bolts. Head bolts are number one spark plug. You're going to check your reed valves, the four little reed valve screws. You're going to check the two um, screws that are inside of the little flange on the top, the plastic flange in the carburetor. You're going to check your three um, <clears throat> silencer bolts, your two manifold bolts, and then the big, the M5 or M6 or whatever it is that holds the bracket, that holds the silencer in place and keeps it from rattling. So that is your five hour maintenance every time and you need to log it. So if you fly with gaggle, it logs it for you. If you fly with PBG flyer, it logs it for you. But if you stick to that and you keep your RPMs, so when you run the motor, you have your high jet and your low jet. You don't need to mess with the needle settings. The only thing that you typically need to mess with is the idle setting. 
So when you go into the cooler air, you get more dense. It's it's thinner air. It's 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 more condensed air. You don't have that real hot expanded air like we do in the summer. So a lot of times the motors, when you fire them up, you warm them up, the prop engages and it's just spinning at idle. You can just back down the idle. Everyone wants to change the low jet and they want to either lean it or they make it too rich. And then they get that mid-range chirp where you're flying along and everything kind of jumps on you. So 90% of the time, it's just that idle screw. So what I do, and I, people see me at fly-ins, and I think Will was at one of the fly-ins when he was like, I can't believe you're sticking your hand in there. I leave the motor running. I, I'm trusting you 100%. I think it was at Bad Apples. You were standing there with me, and you're like, I cannot believe you're doing this live. Purdens. Purdens. Yeah, I think it was Purdens. Yeah. I mean, I'll get up on a helicopter while the blades are running to look inside the calibrations to make sure that all the trueness is happening properly on the head. Like, I'm that idiot. So I stick my hand behind, like I have you hold, you know, make sure that you're not going to touch the throttle. And I grab the prop and I go in there and I manually adjust it. And we can usually dial it in to where it's like butter. Um, sorry, the, my, I have a light. Um, so you can get it dialed in to where it's like perfectly smooth all the way through the power band from idle all the way up. So what I do is I want to turn that idle screw into the props engaging after the motor is above 150 degrees Fahrenheit. And then I back it down until the motor is running at a high idle, but it's not engaging the prop. At that point, stop. That's where you want it. So if you bring that idle down real low, and I hear a lot of fly-ins where you, the motor is like barely running and it's pumping out a ton of smoke. A, you're just loading up that piston with carbon because you got so much, you know, you, you have so <clears throat> you don't have it running high enough. But B, the motor is vibrating like crazy. And that is where all those stress fractures come and those exhaust pipes that you guys complained about that my exhaust broke after 10 hours or 20 hours. So and then the carbon buildup that you're talking about in the port, the jug port, when you're running real low like that, you're you don't you're not getting that real clean burn. That's when that jug carbon compression port gets really built up and you got to go in there after like 40 or 50 hours and clean it out. So if it's running at a high RPM, the prop's not engaging, that's where you want it, which is to me, it's like 2350, 2400 is about where the RPM is on the most or 185. Atom 80s are a little different. They're a little higher because it's a smaller engine. Yeah. Usually when I replace my spark plug, I'll pull the head anyway, because those little, um, um, those uh, gaskets on the head, I can take them on and off uh, a couple times during the year and I don't have to worry about replacing them. Uh, so I take them off and I clean out the port and I even clean off the uh, the piston head, replace my spark plug every 15 hours. I'm with you. I don't have any problems with burnt um, pistons or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And I think like we I said, had we... some, I think we had some questions also in the <laughs> super chat. Will? Um. You had the uh, oh Parma, Paul Marzano wanted to know uh, if you wanted to run a CHT and you didn't put the sensor in the uh, yes so this is what you're gonna do and guys I don't know what happened with the manufacturer because I used to be able to get these things for like thirty five bucks and then now they're like fifty sixty seventy five dollars I got that new Mad Max and I ordered the new CHT and it was like like eighty two dollars and I was like holy crap so I don't know I don't know what the deal is with them but. When you order the head temp, the TTO or trail tech or whatever you're getting, 
don't get the 14 mil or whatever the under for the spark plug. What you're going to do is get the get the 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 little copper piece that looks like this that goes around where normally would go in a spark plug. You want to get a 10 millimeter, a 10 millimeter. And then as you're looking at the head on the moster, so what you're going to do is you don't ever want to put a head temp gauge on the exhaust side because the exhaust side is like a thousand degrees when that combustion is coming out right at the manifold. And you get this ridiculously high number and you're like, oh my God, I'm burning my piston. You're not burning anything up. You just have the exhaust temp, the, the, T, the CHG on the wrong side. What you want to do is, is you're looking, as you're looking at the motor, so the propellers right at your chest, and then you're, you're the pilots in front of you, you're going to put it on the head bolt that's closest to the pilot on the carburetor side. So you're going to take that little 10 millimeter off and they are one time use nuts, by the way, that is in the manual. Those little copper nuts, everyone uses them multiple times, but they are one-time use locking nuts on the head. So you remove that one nut and you're gonna put that little 10 millimeter CHT probe on there and you're gonna torque it right back down to wherever your spec is. Now, when you fly within the first five to 10 hours, that nut is always going to loosen up until that settles back in. So you got to retorque those head bolts every time that you fly, at least for the first 10 to 15 hours before you notice that you don't have to do it anymore because it will have expanded and contracted enough that you don't have to do it anymore because it'll lock in. Then you can go to your five hour maintenance for a, um, routine. So that's the head bolt that you put a, the CHT on and it's a 10 millimeter. And then you just run the wire down your throttle or you put it wherever you want to put it. Um, the How problem is... What's how, that? How close would how close would the reading be? I mean, compared to it seems like if it's on the outside, it would be, you know, less. Less, yeah. So all you have to do. So what we did was we ran it, we ran it, and then we used an infrared gun to test it. We actually I used an infrared gun. It's a snap one that we used to run on test uh, turbine gases. And it was within 20 degrees at the highest temperature. So if you're if you're say if it's saying that it's at like 298, add 20 degrees to it just to play it safe. So you're like, let's say you just say you're running three. If it's at 300, you're running 330. So my motors, even doing tandems, and I'm 6'1, 200 pounds, and I've taken up 260 pound foot launch guys, my motor never gets over 365 degrees. Hmm. Not even on takeoff. Everyone's like, oh, I get it to like 400 on takeoff. Well, I don't know what you've got going on there, but that's not normal. So, cause I've taken up some Bubba's and I've never had my motor go over maybe three, I think it may be one time my max one was like 362, 365, but that's it. Do you one use the one. shrouds? I do use a shroud and the shroud that I recommend, do not use the Viterazzi shrouds. Use the Marty Hathaway shrouds. Marty is going to kill me because he does this for fun because he's retired, but Friend him on Facebook. Tell him that Brian Goff sent you his way. I don't care. You can in inundate him. He charges like a hundred and something bucks for these shrouds. His shrouds run 20 to 50 degrees cooler than the Viterazzi shrouds. And I don't know. It's just I the way he did the scoop. The way he good did stuff. the scoop. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I use one of his. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. So that is the shroud that I recommend. And again, he, he's retired. He does this for fun. So if all, you know, I know one summer I sent him like a ton of people and he was like, dude, I'm retired. And I was like, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
<laughs> so, but his stuff works amazing. Um, it works way better than the Bitter Ozzy stuff. We have every motor, we have seven motors out on the hangar and every one of them I think has one of his shrouds on it. So, and then you definitely need to tack in an hour gauge if you're gonna, and again, Amazon. Everyone thinks that this stuff comes with like the paramotor. Like this, these are all like, it, it's aviation. Every You're buying everything. So you're not getting anything as a full package. Even the full packages that you get sold, you're still buying pieces and parts. And then add all the wants, you know, to the list right. of things that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, you're not, I mean, I don't think you're getting into this. If you're if you're a Parajet and you're on a Mac Para with training helmet radio and you're not buying real fancy like helmet radio, you're... I would say you're in it between now with the inflation about 16.2 and then to 17.2 and then trikes are 17 to 20 grand, depending on how crazy you go, if you're going new. Yeah. So, and, and I tell people do not, if, unless you know the school or the instructor or the person that that glider came from, I strongly advise against you getting a secondhand glider because I have never had a student that brought me a secondhand glider that we did not discover major repair work that was not done properly. So matter of fact, the last one that we had, I test flew it. And when I landed, one of the cells had completely unstitched. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a home repair job there. <laughs> yeah. It was with like their Singer sewing machine. Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, we, we've discovered that um, on eBay, mostly on eBay, what uh, people are doing is they are buying up junk wings and junk paramotors. They are welding them crappily, if that's a word. They paint them. They make them look much newer than they are, including, like you just said, they stitch the wings and stuff like that. And they sell them uh, on, on eBay. And obviously, they don't fly. So even if you talk to them, you know, they'll... They, they'll probably say, oh, I'm selling it for my friend or whatever. Yeah. Well, those are the ones that I've seen over at, uh, at the school where same thing, stitches come undone, uh, the welds break on the paramotor. Yeah, eBay, I, I don't think I'd recommend eBay as far as buying anything. Now, a lot of times the Facebook places, you know, not marketplace, but our groups, they seem to be uh, pretty good. I've heard a couple people that got some crap stuff um, but uh, you would recommend going to schools, mm -hmm. um, getting demos out of boxes from schools and stuff like that. Yeah, either a demo and I mean, they demo wings, but even demo wings are, I mean, my rule of thumb is, I mean, I've been, my, so my dad was, he's a retired rear admiral in the Navy, right? So I've been, he was a fighter pilot. So I've been flying since I was like six years old. <laughs> if if you demo anything in aviation and you don't own it, you're probably not going to take care of it as if you have four or five, you know, $3,000 tied up in it. <laughs> so if you buy a demo wing, you're probably going to get a lot of holes or little tears because it's drug across the ground. And I can tell you every wing that I had, that, those Colorados that we've had out this summer. Yeah, man, I took it out there and I kited it for like two hours. And I mean, this one wing that I got back must have been kited through like a briar field, like a corn field that wasn't completely. No, I mean, it was I was like, dude, I, I could make Swiss cheese out of this. I mean, it was like I, I used I, I actually took the wing and sent it back to Mac Para and their first response, their first email when they got it back was like, what happened to this? Because it looked like somebody hung it upside down 
and took a AR-22 long rifle and just shot 22 rounds through it. What the heck? So, yeah. So it's like school. So what I'm talking about is I get a lot of people, usually older folks that'll come out. We'll do like an introduction flight just to see, so they can see what it's all about. They buy all this equipment and then they come out, they spend, you know, a month or so. They're out there on the weekends because they have full-time jobs or kids or whatever. They get one flight in and they're like, you know what? This just isn't, I, I just don't have the time. And, you know, they realize that how much is involved and they're like, I don't, I can't do this. I don't have the time to commit to it. So I'm like, leave your gear in the hangar. And then, you know, I'll post it up for you. And I, that's the stuff that I'm talking about. Um, that's, that's what I would recommend. If you're going to go secondhand, get, get something like that, because it was under my eye the entire time. I know nothing happened to it. It's got all the original parts that came out of the box. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, I have no, no issues with selling something that I know every minute, you know, as far as what's happened to that glider. Um, and then there was a guy, it was not a Mac para wing, but he calls me up and he's like, man, can, can I put Mac para risers on this? I'm not going to get into the brand. And I was like, no, I was like, what happened? And the, like the, the, the trim buckle completely disintegrated on its like first flight, $4,000 wing out of the box. And I was like, no, dude, like you got to order the OEM part for that. Like that's set specifically for that line length. Like you can't, you can't just marry, you know, random parts together. And, um, and he was like, yeah, but I, I just, I don't trust it. And I'm like, I was like, that's not my problem. <laughs> so he wanted to order a Mac pair of riser set to put on another brand wing because the trim buckle disintegrated on like his first or second flight or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I got stories. I mean, I'm not going to get into it with the political cause I don't want to start a, a, a Facebook war, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no names obviously, yeah. but you know, understanding what people are going through is the way to go. So yeah, not mentioning names or, you know, gliders and stuff. What are some of the things that have happened over the time that you've been uh, doing this where, you know, like you said, student come in and the buckle disintegrated i mean what other stories do you have and and uh what are the and how do you fix something like that or how do you make sure that something like that doesn't happen so well i can't speak for the manufacturer so it's like so i will tell you that mac paragliders and this is something that i told i i mentioned on will's show back it was like a year ago will almost um like nine months ago all the mac para stuff is hand stitched it is test flown before i receive it and if you have a trike or a motor, I tell them, hey, this guy's on a, a Maverick Sport or this guy's on a Maverick XL or whatever. And they usually set your brake lines up. There's very few. Like I had one gentleman in Florida that he's on a trike and he ordered a Colorado too. And the lines were all out of whack. And I don't know if they just, I don't know if it was something that they did or he did, or they just didn't do it at the factory. That's the only glider that I've had in the three years that I took over the Mac para that was off. And he took it to Eric before and Eric before fixed it right away. It was super easy, but he was a trike guy, but there's so many trike variant, you know, variables, right? Do you have high hang point? Are you low hang point? Are you on an ABM? Are you on a fixed seat? So like when you tell them this information, I don't know or exactly what you're flying unless you send me a picture. So that's one thing about the manufacturers. These other manufacturers don't do that. They're not hand-stitched. They're just cranked out. So I've seen the triangular malleons. That's what they're called, malleons. Literally just open up. <laughs> like, that's where, that's where your lines are attached to. <laughs> like, they've they've ordered malleons from me. 
I've had two or three rescue, like Civ people order rescue, the rescue reserve. So people will just use like these little mallions that they got with the, the reserve that they get from the factory. And they're super tiny. They're really thin metal. So a rescue mallion, a reserve mallion for a reserve that fits underneath your harness where the Velcro straps are, they're pretty beefy. Because if you think about it, if you're free falling and you throw that reserve, I mean, that's going to pop and open and it's going to stop you like a parachute, right? So it's pretty abrupt. If they're like paper thin, anyway, this guy sent me one that broke, but thank God when he was a skydiver and he used that elephant ear thing, which is like a little, like a little like rock climbing nylon wire that like looped into itself on top of the mallion that right. he had on his paramotor so the mallion literally disintegrated and the and the y bridle came off the mallion but it was still attached to that elephant loop and that's the only reason that the guy was able that he walked away from it so wow. and it was it was a reserve that was part of the package deal <laughs> well we're gonna throw you in a reserve <laughs> so you'd be but, like oh yay oh yeah. <laughs> right it's like <laughs> that was a that was a five hundred dollar yeah so anyway that those are like the things that i've seen this year a lot a handful of mallions there's a couple of gliders that have like the plastic there's like these snaps that go into them have you ever seen them mm -mm. like so inside the mallions or quick links yeah so you got the mallion right and then there's like a plastic piece that holds it all together and the plastic pieces have failed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, I, I do know what you're talking. It's like a clear plastic piece. Yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. So, again, it's like, I mean, we're getting to the point where people are jumping from, like, beginner, like, you know, just flying flight and level. And what people don't understand is a lot of these gliders that they're doing these hard, aggressive maneuvers on are not all designed for that type of flying. Exactly. You can buy a glider that's designed for that. But that's not a lot of what's going on because people are buying things. They're getting really comfortable. They start to get ballsy and they're not on a glider. That's like an, an aircraft world. We call it, we stress the aircraft to handle. So an F-18 has a stress level to hold up to a certain mock, right? The, the Apache helicopter, you know, the Red Bull with the titanium blades that goes inverted the helicopter, those aircraft are stressed to handle those, those forces. Well, those gliders that you guys are on are typically not handled. They're not designed to handle those forces. So you have to purchase the glider to match what kind of flying style that you're doing. You can't. And also, and also your swing arms, too. I've seen some people do some crazy stuff and they bet yeah. their swing arms or their Jesus bolts uh, break. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah. one of the big things, too, is that my my first year of flying, I flew 350 hours on my first Roadster, uh, and I went through two different SIV clinics, and my lines were so stretched within that first year that I had to get brand new lines put in. So that's another thing, too. The line stretch, uh, this this was the Kevlar, but not the Dyneema. Yeah. So, you know, what do you recommend? I mean, if you are going to do something that's going to put a lot more G's on. What are some, uh, 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 I guess, paramotors and wings that can handle those type of stresses? So backing up to your line question or your line comment, 
So this is from Mac Para. This is from Peter, the guy that designs all the wings at Mac Para. This is a this is a universal statement. This isn't it is not specific to Mac Para. So I asked Peter, I'm like, what is because people were complaining to me about like, wow, a full line set is really expensive. And I'm like, well, what are you comparing that to? Because if I'm teaching you to fly an R44 at $500 an hour and you're going to get 20 hours out of that. And then after you get signed off, you know, you get your solo, you're renting that for 440 an hour, right? And then, you know, how many hours you're going to fly? Let's say you fly 10 hours. So you got $4,000 wrapped up in that. A, you don't own the helicopter. B, you're filling it up with low lead 100 for three or 400 bucks every time. So I'm like, you're flying this glider for 100 to 150 hours and you're spending five or $600 to replace all the lines. So how are you complaining that that's expensive? Because you can't do that in a helicopter or a Cessna and, and spend five or $600. We had a Piper Matrix. Our last annual before we sold it was $25,000. That's like you going and getting your car, you know, done your car um, inspected and your exhaust admissions at your local mechanic. That's what the annuals are like on an airplane, $25,000. So the line comment or the line statement is paramotor wings, the lines on a paramotor glider are only good for 150 hours. A free flight wing is good for 200 hours. So regardless of the type of flying that you're doing, 150 hours, you should replace the full line set and send it in and get it inspected. If you're free flying, it's 200 hours. If you're doing really aggressive clinics like the SIV clinics and stuff like that, at the end of the season, he said, send it in and get it inspected and then let them determine at how stretched and how you know worn out that stuff is. But you said, how many hours did you have in that year? I did at least 300, yeah, at least 350, not including kiting. And uh, yeah, I so put you a lot were of, double, yeah. What I was putting massive amount of, uh, and of course, after going through the SIV clinics, I would do flat down spirals on a paramotor, you know, I would do, you know, wing overs and stuff. But after that first year, and I realized that, you know, just, you know, flying, if you just take off and fly, buzz around and come back those lines will last you a lot longer than doing any type of acro. You do any type of acro and you're going to be replacing your lines, which of course is not expensive to replace all the lines. Sending it in for inspection was about 800 bucks. Yeah. So no big deal, really cheap. If you're going to go out and, and do something, you know that your wing is going to take care of you. And that's the whole idea when we're flying PPG, you know, is to make sure that our equipment is safe. I replace my carabiners every year, regardless if I need it or not. I replace my um, my fuel line, whether I need it or not. I'm, obviously, I think I need it, but, you know, even if I don't, all the different shackles, I replace all the shackles too, get brand new shackles. So I replace a lot of stuff um, every year, whether I feel like I need it or not, just because those carabiners can eventually stress out on you. And I don't want to be the guy that, you know, comes down on a streamer because, you know, I decided eh, I'm not going to spend 50 bucks this year on carabiners. Sure. Yeah. And another thing, if you're using the aluminum carabiners, the 18 kilonewton carabiners that come on like all the Parajet Mavericks and they come on a lot of almost all the paramotors that are out there, they're like the, the light silver. Right. You can, Mac Para has a pair of stainless carabiners and they're, I think they're 27 kilonewtons. So 
at one of the airports that we we went to. So Phoenixville, I do a lot of DOD work up in Phoenixville on helicopter stuff. We took two tractor trailer trucks and we took one of the 18. And I don't even think the tractor trailer trucks tensioned the strap fully. And the aluminum carabiner just literally exploded. And I wanted to post this on YouTube. <laughs> but I, when I sent it, when I talked to a couple of people, they're like, dude, don't do not do that. Because you're just going to open up a can of worms. Now, you are never obviously going to pull yourself apart with a tractor, two tractor trailer trucks. The stainless steel carabiners, they actually held up and they bent. But the strap failed on the stitching. The beaners did not. With two semi-trucks. Now, I don't know how much more they would have taken because they stretched themselves long. You know, the carabiners are square. They stretched themselves out to like a point. But they never, you couldn't open the gates anymore. But they never actually broke. <laughs> the strap yeah. broke. Yeah, it's so, amazing. It's amazing. Those um, those carabiners are usually 18 kilonewtons. But yeah. straps themselves, the webbing, usually 23 kilonewtons. So, yeah. Your carabiners are always going to fail before any of your webbing, and everybody's afraid about the webbing and stuff like that. The webbing is strong. Yeah, you know, very strong. Um, I yeah. see Paramom taking off her glasses, so I know what that means. Um, it's eight thirty right now. We've been talking for an hour and a half, and somebody wants to do a thumbnail. Plus, we might have some people that need to, you know, leave because we are, um, uh, we do, we do talk a little bit about paramotors. <laughs> all right ready to do a thumbnail guys will you ready to do a thumbnail and will's on mute so i am not on mute quit spreading them rumors all right all right you ready ready freddy okay one i'm getting there all two right. I can do three <laughs> all right we got it Got the heart thing and everything. I don't know. I think I might have gotten that. We'll see. Come on, heart. You know what I learned the other day? What's that? I wonder if it's the same here. Did it on a black <laughs> background? Um, what's that other uh, StreamYard? I can get the heart to work on StreamYard. I can't get it to work on Zoom. Don't work for me. Still. Just on. Yeah. Sean got his heart on there. <laughs> hey, now, this is a family show. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're at 830. Um, <laughs> you want to go for another half an hour or how's everybody doing on on the on here? Yeah, I need to take off. Ah, take off. I love it. No, it's <laughs> pitch black out there. I need some night vision. <laughs> No. Uh, thank you very much, Brian, for coming on the show. It was awesome again to have you. I, I love hearing about the wings and the mechanics and stuff like that. And also, I'm going to have to... I, I couldn't find that little cover. I found a whole bunch of other little covers for the mic, but not that little leather one. So I'll have to... I'll I'll send the, I'll send add the link to the group, the group chat. Okay, Sounds good. Excellent. I'll thank have to find it. Much. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. You guys have a great evening. Sure, you too. Thanks, Jim. Absolutely. Yeah. All mm -hmm. right. Um, Will, how are you doing? Do you need to go? Are you good for a little while? Uh, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll hang out for for a little while longer. I mean, I'm enjoying myself, but there was one thing that uh unless where'd scuba go? Oh yeah. Scuba, what happened to you, man? Okay, so um there was he, one he doesn't like us anymore. <laughs> what if he thought while we're leaving? Like if Jim's not here, heck, I'm gonna leave. So uh Joe Adell says he wants to what decarbon solution do you prefer? was his question as far as like cleaning the motor yeah i'm assuming yeah that like the head i would assume up and so like a, like a carbon on on the head yeah so i have mm, so i don't want to give you i'll tell you what i do but i don't want people to like go out to like harbor freight and buy this stuff because i have a specialty wire tool that's got little like it's it's designed for an aluminum piston to remove carbon and it's like this little metal brush that you can put on like a drill but I get them from United Technologies, which is like the Sikorsky. <laughs> like, right. the, so it's, you're not, it's like, they're like two, $300 because we use them to clean things on helicopters. So I had somebody like went and got like just a beat, a paddle wire brush from like Walmart. And they like, they're like, yeah, man, I took, they took like the A and like the arrow off the piston. I'm like, dude, like don't <laughs> take the metal off the piston. So if you, oh my gosh. yeah, so this, this tool that I have is like, I can do it and it just, it's very gentle to the aluminum. It just cleans it back down to like basically polishes it to new. Is it um, like a fiber or something like a it is, it's like metal? Yeah. It's like a, it, it's metal. It looks like a wire metal brush. So like you can either get one that's like a paddle that, you know, that's got the bristles on the outside and it's got the little stem that you can plug into a drill, or you can get the one that looks like a little like sweep cleaner that rotates. It looks like, you know, like a side, like the brush on the side of a street sweeper. Um, I would recommend the side of the, the street sweeper looking one because the paddle one, you can really push down on the drill and dig into the metal. The street sweeper one is going to pancake out a little bit and it's going to be a little less aggressive um, on the aluminum. But I spray it with carb cleaner. And then what I do is I just lightly use that tool and it, it sits in a special vice. It's like a tubular vice. So it's the exact diameter of that piston. And my device expands and contracts so that I have exactly so that when the drill goes down into it with that little tool on the end of it, it's just taking off the surface. Cause I've seen guys like round the edge of the piston. Um, like when they've done it, if they, if you're too aggressive with it. So that's what I, if you want to do it and you want to do it quickly, you, if you, if you want to do it with sandpaper and, you know, carb cleaner, you're going to be out there like with 200 grit. I've had guys who are worked on it for like two days, you know, to get it, to get it back to new, <laughs> um, the wire brush will take you 15 minutes, you know, but you just got to be really careful at how aggressive the pressure that you're putting down on the on the piston yeah so i use the carb cleaner also and um i don't use these right here that have metal on it there's some that have it's not metal and i can't find it right now but um it's the non-metal toothbrush looking scrubber thing yeah. that has like a carbon fiber type of thing where yeah. that that it doesn't doesn't scratch it mm -hmm. but uh with the um with the cart with the carb cleaner stuff and scrubbing it up uh, like i said i usually do it when i change out the spark plug so i'm only talking about 10 15 hours anyway so there's not a lot of stuff there so i like to keep things clean rather than it being built up and then trying to break it all you know break it all off in about 50 hours yeah it's you can use that i mean the, it's okay if you i mean you, i put scratches on the piston sometimes it doesn't it doesn't affect anything I had a Moster engine. It was a Moster Classic with 865 hours on it. 
before. The I mean, classics I, are awesome. I did oh, love yeah. the classic. They, I mean, so, and I used to clean it with a, you know, with, not with the tool that I have now. I, I ordered this set of tools because they were like the, all the different sizes. They're like a couple of thousand dollars for what I use them for. But the, I ordered the smaller ones specifically for the paramotor. And it's just, it takes me like three minutes to just zip through it. Um, Cause I can also, it also has a honing tool that'll put the thatching back in your jug. So I just run the drill down through your, your jug and it'll rethatch your jug back to factory. Um, so, but yeah, just a little bit of scratching on it. Isn't going to hurt anything. You just don't want to like gouge it. Like you don't want to like, like, like a cat scratch. You don't want to do anything like that on the metal, but if you just have like little light, you know, brush marks on it, it ain't going to hurt anything. It's not going to affect anything. And whatever you do, don't wear the point. <laughs> everyone focuses on the point because that's where most of the carbon buildup is because that's where the heat is where the, the the spark plug combusts at so don't take the point off the piston um because that's the other thing and then it, then they have problems with like it, it it really doesn't run smooth and it's it's it runs like crap and then it's because that points there so you've changed the top of the compression by removing that point the other thing that we didn't talk about is the gapping of the plugs so 026 is what you should be gapping all of those plugs unless it's an iridium plug. You do not gap an iridium plug. I was at Purden's and somebody came up to me with an iridium plug and I'm like, well, I've never seen one like this before. And they're like, what do you mean? They're like, well, I gap. I'm like, you don't, you don't gap iridium plugs ever. <laughs> so iridium plug comes out of the box and goes right into the paramotor. Um, and then you can go to AutoZone or any of those, you know, advanced auto parts, O'Reilly's, and then you just tell them I want BR90S or BR10ES or whatever in an Iridium plug and they'll give it to you. So they're about 16, 17, 18 bucks, I think, versus like four, two to three, three, four bucks, whatever they are now. What are those two spark plugs again? Um, so you have the BR90S and the gapping is 0.026 and then the BR10ES. And again, 0.20 or point um 026. And then you have the iridium version, which has an, a point. Do not gap iridium plugs. Just put them in. Yeah. I, you know what? And I know you're right, but I have never gapped my plugs. I've got the gap where, you know, I got the little me the measure or whatever, but I've just never gapped the plug. So nope. maybe I've just gotten lucky. Nobody does. There was, I can't think of his name and I'm drawing a blank because I spent like at Purdens, we were, we flew with him a week before we got the Purdens and I'm drawing a blank on his name. He has like the old Leon Wacker setup on like a trike and I, dude, his paramotor was a nightmare. So I went through and just overhauled it for him real quick and he took off and he was like, I've never had this much power ever in my life and i'm like he was like this is incredible he's like this is what it's supposed to be like he thought the wing was too small for him oh really that yeah and he, i knew i was like no your motor is just so out of tune because was it Moster 185 yeah it was a Moster 185 but it was like the lowe's hardware special the home depot special <laughs> yeah so, yeah i mean it's just it, i mean I know their paramotors are two-stroke motors, but I mean, at the end of the day, it is an aviation engine. You know, it is spinning a propeller, even though it's not under a load. So like, you really should replace that stuff with OEM parts. Like you really, you know, people go to Home Depot and Lowe's and replace a lot of these nuts and bolts. And it's like, I get the motor and I'm like, where did you get this from? Ace True Value? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> especially especially the uh, the head bolts. I've seen some that are, that are not heat resistant no. and basically crumble as you're trying to pull them off after, you know, not too long because they're so hot. 
The, the Nylock is my favorite. When I get a guy that has Nylock with no Nylock in it anymore. I know, I know. So Nylock in aviation is, just so you know, and this is the standard rule with Nylock bolts, period. It's a one-time use bolt. You put it on and you snug it. And when you remove a Nylock bolt, you throw it out. You don't ever use them. <laughs> so that's- But it looks good. It still yeah, looks well, good. It still fits. <laughs> It's still ten millimeters. It's like... so, but yeah, nylon... I can I can screw it all the way down and all the way off with my yeah. fingertips, but you yeah. know. <laughs> so I forget what the last one. Somebody used. Oh, they used. I'm like, where did you get these at? And he's like, oh my gosh, they fit perfect. They were off of my daughter's. They were the little solid end caps that go on training wheels, like the nuts. Mm-hmm. That's what he used for his. That's what he had on his head ball. The caps? No, he had the you know the nuts with like the dome on it, like yeah, that yeah. on training wheels because oh, yeah, like the yeah, kids yeah. like clothes to get caught on them. <laughs> That's what he used. He, he was like, yeah, but they fit perfect, and they torque exactly. I'm like, well, yeah, you're just torquing it to the top of the dome. You're not actually torquing it to the head. It's like, God bless him, man. Gosh. He had like a hundred hours on it. It worked. It was on an old Simonini. <laughs> this goes to show. Yeah. But you know, I think what keeps a lot of people from doing, and I'm speak, speaking from experience, from doing maintenance is fear of not doing it right. Yeah. So, um, and this kind of thought came to me. I mean, if you get into this sport, when I was I was first told when I got into the sport, you will become a two-stroke motor, you know, mechanic. It's just, you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to do it all over again, which... I actually am considering doing it now is like maybe taking uh, uh, one of those tech school two stroke motor courses. I don't even know if they have them. They do. Yeah. If you go to any community college, most of community colleges has like a, um, they'll do like welding or they'll do like a small engine repair. And it's like, yeah. they have, yeah, it's like six weeks. It's like 350 bucks or something like that. It's like two hours, you know, on a Friday, you, you'll learn a lot. But there's also a lot of things in those classes that are like lawnmower based or like weed whacker based that there's. So when you get dig into the paramotor, there's a lot of things that you're going to see that aren't on those. Um, like somebody. So they, they're definitely beneficial, but you you still like you need to look at the manual. That's the one thing that. So I, it was Purdens. Purdens was like a crazy year this year. I was. I was. I don't think I ever sat down and like enjoyed a conversation. I was just working the whole time that I was there. Fixing you were. Things. You were the maintenance man. Yeah, I'm always. <laughs> but there was a. Um, what was I going to? What was I going to say about the the motor maintenance? Oh, the guy goes. I, I forget what he brought me. I want to say it was a Polini something, a Polini one ninety light or something like that. And I was like, hold on, let me pull the manual up. And he's like, what, what do you need that for? Annual? Like, because I, I want to know what the specs are on the motor. So I went back through with my torque wrench and I'm like, well, you, he had, he had torqued the head so tight that he literally had no more like head gasket. Oh man. So, yeah. I don't like, I pulled the head off and I was like, dude, yeah, this you're, you're done. Like, there's nothing you could do with this. And he's like, well, can't we like use a Moster one on there? I'm like, no, like it's a <laughs> diameter is different. He's like, well, you could stretch it. And I'm like, no. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. It was like, he was bartering with me to like, just fix it. Like MacGyver. I'm like, dude, it doesn't work like that. It's just, like, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, I'm telling you like, that's the maintenance stuff kills me at these every time. I don't think I ever go to a fly-in and actually sit and chat 
I'm always, I, I mean, you saw me at Apple's and I think bad apples this first year that I was down there, I, I split, I split, like split the cranks, replaced the ball bearings, like the crank bearings. Yeah, you were on the other side of the lake, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I split yeah, seven I motors in that week. Hey man, you're just going to have to go in disguise if you want to enjoy <laughs> flying. <you know? laughs> so I love doing it and I like teaching people to do it. It's just, it, it's just insane. It's like, I love the guys that'll come to you and they're like, oh yeah, there's like 400 hours on this. And they're like, it makes this really bad sound. <laughs> like you replace the crank bearings. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, that answer is no. It's like, yeah. so, but yeah, whatever. I mean, it, it, I'll tell you what, mate, you can make a living doing maintenance and paramotoring if you want, if you wanted to do it. I believe that. I really believe yeah. that. I mean, not only even guys that want that, that know how to do it their time is better well spent maybe at, with their family or they've got a closing or, you know, their business or, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's, that certainly provides a value. That's, that's where I'm at. I mean, I just, why do I want to turn wrenches on a paramotor for 65 bucks an hour when I can go over here to a DOD and make a thousand dollars an hour? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, I'm all set. And then I got to deal with my wife going, why do we have 12 paramotors in our garage? <laughs> <laughs> There, there is a lot there's a there's a element of enjoyment though doing mechanical work i mean yeah. some, bring something that didn't work and now it works because of your efforts i mean so there's i i've always enjoyed mechanical type stuff but it's also scared me too yeah. you know if that makes yeah. any sense but i mean I, I know i would enjoy it if i got into it I think it would be cool just to do like a, a class, like just to have somebody video a full split, like a full breakdown of everything, like, like professionally video it, have yeah. like seminary camera angles, like yeah. this guy, like the scout guys did a good job. But the problem is, is like their terminology, like they use the inner race and the outer race. And that's where people, they'll call me and they're like, what's the inner race or the outer race? I'm like the inner part of the bearing and the outer part of the bearing. And they're like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah, but they're the language barrier is what tricks people up on certain things. But they're the yeah. scout videos are real. I really like them. And that's usually where I tell I defer people to um, unless they're trying to explain something to me and they're like talking Chinese. And I'm like, all right, let's video chat and like, let me see what you're talking about. Um, but it would be it would be really cool to have, like do a full literally from A to B from, you know, a full breakdown, lay it all out, clean it. And then put it all back together and then do segments. You know, this is the breakdown, this is the cleaning, and then this is the assembly. And then and it take it takes if I do it by myself and I'm not talking and instructing how to do it, I can do a full engine in about four and a half hours. Wow. So, but if I'm explaining and showing people and then people have a million questions, you know, it becomes a two-day project. Yeah. Yeah, I could understand that. Well, so a video, though, uh, you know, a course, a video course even would be cool. And probably yeah. a lot of people would buy uh, because then they can kind of take their time and kind of go through it. If they didn't understand it, rewind it a little. You know what I mean? So sure. I could see it would be difficult if people are over your shoulder asking you 10 questions when you oh, try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's always what it is. We do like the one that we did last summer that I told you about. We had like 100 and I think 117 people showed up. We did it in the hangar. We didn't have parking like we had nowhere to, for people to park because the owner of the airfield was like, dude, I don't want to park it on the runway like or on the grass. Sure. So, I mean, we just we had people like up the road, down the road. We had the neighbors coming to see like what was going on. And was I mean, the stuff, 
Was this up there or was this in North Carolina? No, it was up here in PA. I did it at the hangar out here. I have a huge hangar out here in PA. And um, it was like, I, I think there were, I think every single person had a GoPro. I mean, I'm, you know, they're all standing there like, oh, can I get closer to you? And can I see? And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's hard to do it when they're, everyone's trying to see and they're all crowded around. And I mean, it was so many people, you couldn't even see, you know, only 20 people could get close enough to see what I was doing. Yeah, that, that would be know. difficult. But yeah, I mean, it's, it would definitely be beneficial. And I know they do the carb kit rebuild training and all that stuff at, you know, a lot of these events and stuff like that. And they show you how to do it, but to, that that's such a small component of all the other stuff in that motor. And then the fuel injection that they're coming out with, that is not a, you know, you got to know what you're doing with fuel injection. And if you have a hiccup or you get, you know, garbage in there that you got to get cleaned out when it's electronic, when you start taking all that stuff apart, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get yourself into a heap of crap that you're going to end up calling, you know, you got to go somewhere to get it fixed. And I know I've chatted a couple of times and they're like, you know, are you interested in working on like, <laughs> do not put my crap out there. I am not interested in touch and fuel injection. So I think it's a really cool concept and I know it works. It works well because it's been, you know, they've been testing it for all, for years, but that is going to be, wait until, I, I give it two years after they release that motor in the States and they, that you can order them now, two years, you're going to see them all on eBay for half the price. What do you think about electric? Electric is, I, I think electric motors, the concept is cool, but the battery life and that weight of the batteries are just not there. We have an electric motor in Northern Virginia and that thing, the battery on the thing, I think is like 65 or 70 pounds. And then if you go into like the turbo mode on the computer, you only get like 15 minutes on it. Really? Yeah. So like if you leave it on like the snail mode or whatever, you know, there's like a couple of modes on it. You can fly for about 30 minutes before you come in. And the funny part is, is every time the guy brings it out, he we go fly. And then he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to fly back and get my moster. And I'm like, <laughs> why didn't you just take off with your moster? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Well, so I, I flew the uh, SP140 and they had the hour battery pack on it and I put it on ludicrous mode, you know, the uh, sport mode. Yeah. And uh, I flew for almost a good um, hour that day. Really? Yeah. What size so, wing are you on though? Um, I believe I probably had a 28 meter on that and we're gotcha. pretty close to sea level. So I, I like to float, you know, I like to get yeah. really good gas mileage on my paramotors because I normally fly a, an Atom 80. Okay. Um, even though I am 240, you know, I, I love to fly, you know, the small, uh, the small motors just because just that one little crack, you know, whoop, there you go. You're, it, it's going, it, the, it's really light and um, they're just, they're just fun to fly. Yeah. That's good. What motor was it that you were on? The SP140. That's the electric one from Open uh, PPG. Yeah, I think that's the one that's in Virginia. Wow, you got an hour out of that, huh? Pretty close, but but they have the uh, half hour, the half an hour battery, and they got an hour battery. And back then, um, I think the hour battery was twenty two hundred dollars, just the battery. Wow. Yeah, but you know and how how heavy was that? It felt like a regular Moster 185, but had the power thrust of like a 220. Gotcha. With a Moster 185, with how much fuel? Like normal? Uh, like, like a couple of gallons, I would I would assume. But it had the thrust of a 220. 
Yeah, that well, it's just like electric cars. I mean, electric cars are stupid off the gate, but long run, a gas car will kill it. Yeah. So it's kind. Of, yeah, it's the same thing. I think. Have you ever seen the four bladed? Oh yeah. Seen, those look kind of interesting because of the you know you got the thrust band with the smaller props, the lighter weight. But I mean, I assume the battery, the ratio of the power drawn by those little KV motors versus the battery on those four, wouldn't are you more evenly distributing? I think that you're thinking about the uh, so so um, the open PPG, and I think that's the one with the electrics. They had the original ones with four um, uh, motors on it, right? Yeah. And the SP140, they got it right in the middle, and it looks just like a paramotor. So yeah, that's the one that we have. Yeah, yeah, so they yeah. actually run, you know, regular, uh, you know, one thirty-five. I don't know if it had a one forty or not because uh, I don't, I don't remember. But um, uh, it had a lot of power. I mean, a lot of power. I was pretty, but I put it in sport mode too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's I. I mean, I've I flew that one out there for like five or ten minutes, and I was like, yeah, I'm. I mean, it, it did have power, and when I took off with it, I mean, it did have a lot of power. But you know, it, everyone else is going to take off with gasoline and for two hours and at some point i'm gonna have to turn around so i didn't play with it long enough to really like i mean it was comfortable to sit in it mm -hmm. but yeah i just i don't think the i think the i think in the next five years the battery the technology will be there for the electric stuff it needs to be at least two hours because when i go up and fly i go up and fly for at least two hours two and a half hours because yeah. i put up when i fill up my gas tank i can do about three so i usually will stop at two and a half only because I like to have that extra extra sure. gas in there, and sometimes I'm just you know doing a lot of stuff. So at two at two and a half hours, I'm actually burnt up almost the entire thing. So yeah, um, uh, I I love flying for hours upon hours. I just love to go up there and look at everything, get really high, cut the motor, uh, do a lot of um, uh, free flying because I love to free fly. I just don't want to go to top of a, a top of a mountain and, and do some paraweighting because nine times out of ten. You know, you might just get, might be too much wind or you might just do a, a sled ride down. And I just don't yeah. want to wait for that. Yeah. And that's, that's what the guys in Northern Virginia, we get a lot of that out there. Have you ever been to the Northern Virginia? Have you ever been out there? Um, I, you mean the, the, uh, for free flight? Yeah. Like the, the mountains. Um, I mean, we paramotor. I mean, I've, I mean, I've posted a couple of the forms that were, you know, because so the thing with the circus is it's a private co-op. Like you can't just use the field. So like, but if if me or my my instructor, one if either one of us are out there, we open it up to like anybody that wants to come out and fly out of there. It's a really pretty place to fly because of the mountains, the Shenandoah Valley. You know, you got the Appalachian Trail there. But what's neat is when you take off, there's like all these installations, like nuclear silo installations and CIA, and there's like Mount Weather that's like 200 <laughs> stories under the ground. Like there's really all these places that you guys get in the air and. You're like, man, let's go over there. I'm like, we'll talk about that when we get on the yeah, yeah. this side of the. So it's, but you can get up to the mountains. And like you said, you can, you know, kill the motor. You get a real smooth, if you get an easterly wind, you get a real smooth ridge lift. So we fly out, we're kind of going downwind in a two or three mile an hour wind. But when you turn around, if you're high enough, you get that real easy, but it's like butter flow. Um, and then if you're lucky, and then usually when you're out there, when we've done it, it'll pick up. We know it's picking up and then, it, and then it gets real aggressive. <laughs> so then we motor back over to the field. I seen a couple of questions, but now I'm trying to go back and find them. Um, 
crank bearings. How how often do I see bad crank bearings? There we go. So crank bearings are supposed to be yanked out and thrown away um, at 300 hours. So that's a no, like, regardless of whether they're still quiet or not. Um, I've seen them go bad at 75 hours. I the I would say between like 225 and 275 is when you're going to start hearing noise. And it's when you engage the propeller, it almost sounds like a grinding that's going on. And it's it's a nasty noise. Like it just doesn't sound right at all. That's your crank bearings. I thought they were uh, for 100 or 200 hours that they recommend. I think I think I. 200 or 150 is what they tell you to pull them at mm -hmm. i've ripped them out at I, I mean i've opened up 100 my crank my personal unit at 150 hours they're they were as smooth as butter now i'm running the amsoil and they were coated in the amsoil that blue amsoil saber um so now i don't know about the modal oil um but i did I, a saber also once i've once i go into saber i've had zero engine problems yeah but I just personally, like at 300, I'll rip them out. But I mean, I don't even bother anymore at 150 because the couple of times that I spent all that time to do that, I mean, they were like, they were so smooth and, and you know, in, in such good shape. I just left them in. I didn't, I never even pushed them out. So does it, does it sound like a rubbing when you turn the prop? Kind of like something's yeah. rough? It's like, it's like, um, I mean, you know what the normal sound of the motor is like when you engage the propeller? But then it starts to sound like this, like, what's the, I'm trying to think of something that like we use in our daily, day to day that I could compare it to. Um, have you ever heard of Ducati dry clutch? Mm, no. Google, Google or YouTube Ducati dry clutch. So a dry clutch is a little, it's a carbon fiber clutch plate and a little, the little, um, springs on there just vibrate and then when you release the clutch it just it's got a really nasty sound to it that is what the bearings sound like when they're starting to go so if you guys google that ducati dry clutch noise youtube it and then that's what it starts to sound like when the bearings start to fail okay and as the propeller is like winding down it'll make like this wank 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 noise in the in the unit and you're like what is that coming from most people think it's coming from the exhaust like the tuned pipe but it's the actual bearings that you're hearing huh yeah so i i, I got a stupid question for you when i first got my moser of course you know that I was using Motul because of the warranty, whatever. You sure. Know. To this day, I'm still using Motul. Before that, on my Animati, I was using, uh, I, no, uh, uh, dang it, Red. I can't remember. Redline? No. I, it, I'll, it'll, it, it's, it was a good oil. I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't Castrol TTS, was it? No. No, it was, uh, it was an expensive oil, and I'd get it at the motorcycle shop, and just can't remember the name of it. But okay, so say I wanted to switch over to another oil. Is there a correct way to do it, or you no. just, just no, just <clears throat> just switch it over when you fill up a five gallon tank? Just dump AMS oil in it, throw it right in the motor. Just mix what you got in there. It's not going to hurt anything. Okay, good. No, no, I just, I mean, I I do that all the time. I mean, I'll have guys that'll come out. You know, they'll you know they they they'll bring me a motor that they broke in with amp modal, and then we just dump the AMS oil in it. So it's not a big deal at all. The other thing too, that's really good for paramotors 
is go to like Walmart and get sea foam. It's in this little white bottle. It's like red and white. And it says foam is amazing. I run that too. Yes. Yeah. So in, in the, so I don't know where you guys all are, but like here, like October, usually, usually we can fly up to about Thanksgiving, but this year it just got really windy. And the, in the one or two days that we did get it, just for me to drive an hour to get out to the field to fly for 30 minutes, it was just not worth it. Um, but if you get into that case and you know, you're going to sit the paramotor for two or three months, take the white cap on the top of that seafoam can, fill it with the seafoam and dump it in your paramotor tank and it'll stabilize any ethanol fuel that you use in there. If you don't use ethanol fuel, it doesn't matter, but everyone's like ethanol does this, that. Well, I've used unethanol, I've used non-ethanol fuel and ethanol fuel and my lines still get hard at the same hours. They still crack at the same hours. So that's all in these, you know, power band difference, same. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't necessarily buy, you know, the ethanol eats up paramotors or anything like that, or two stroke motors. I mean, I run 93, a lot. I know people run 87 in it. I, I recommend 93 with the Amsoil Sabre. And I've run low lead 100 avgas in it, and you actually lose about two and a half, if not three pounds of thrust. Really? Um, yeah, because low lead 100 is super high lead content, so it, it's a, it burns really cool. So you you drop the RPMs a little bit, and that RPM drop turns out to be like three pounds of thrust that you're huh. losing, which... Yeah. When you're flying, I'm flying both. My motors now are 140 props. So it's like, I don't even use half power to take off anymore. Nice. So the, the prop size really does make a difference. I mean, I went from the 130, which came with my motor. I wanted to, I kept catching lines. I got tired of that. So I got the, I got the 125, you know, I went down one size on the prop, but you can tell the difference. Yeah. 125 and 130. So I could imagine the 140, um, Man, that'd be nice. The 140 on a, on the 22 Colorado, and I'm 10 pounds from the max weight range on that with a full tank of fuel. I literally, I'll take off at like 6,000 RPM and I'll climb at like 200 feet per minute at like 6,800 RPM <laughs> with the 140. <laughs> if I go to full power, like it's literally like this. People are like, oh my God. Like people will ask, can you actually pendulum around? I'm like, no. <laughs> right it's i mean you could i don't know if you could stall it if you like really tried oh, to I, it. I have often wondered that if you could stall the wing like that with like, yeah. but if you got enough power i mean you, i i don't know that's yeah. a good question i'm not gonna try it <laughs> with two kids with a five-year-old and a two-year-old and life insurance It'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll send it to tucker we'll ask tucker to do it yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's just like that 140 is stupid power so, and that sea foam, I'm telling you, that sea foam is amazing stuff. Put it in your fuel, put it in your tank. Stable? Is that, I mean, it's, it's a stabilizer. It's an octane booster and it just, it'll eliminate the water buildup from the ethanol. It also help the crack, you know, hardening of the lines and stuff like that. So when I put it in there, I actually, I'll turn the motor on and run it for like, bring it up the RPM for like two minutes just to heat it up because it pulls that throughout the entire motor, the carbon, everything. And then just shut it off and I'll leave it for three or four months and it'll fire on the second or third pull every time when I start it back up again. Well, the Amsoil Sabre also has a stabilizer in it also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it does. Uh -huh. Yeah. So the Amsoil Sabre also has a stabilizer. Um, and when you put in that sea foam, it just it just makes everything all, it, it feels really good. Matter of fact, I also put the non-ethanol 87 in mine 
And I feel like I got more power in the 87 than the 93. So I just been running. Uh, really? Yeah. So I've been using the 87 for the last three years. No problems with. No with kidding. Them. Yeah. And it's, it's 87, not 87, non-ethanol. Okay. I have that. Yeah. I have that like a mile from my house. I'll have to try that. Yeah, it, it's cheaper. It's only like three bucks a gallon, and regular gas is three uh, two fifty here. So yeah. it's really not that much more, and you can fly an awful lot. You That's know, crazy. With... We, our gas is like four bucks a gallon here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was like I just felt we have an infinity with ninety three. It was like four twenty seven a gallon. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. That's Man, crazy. I remember when it was under a dollar. I remember that too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never see that again, but yeah, like 78.9 or something like that, or 89.9. Yeah. That's crazy. I remember that when I was growing up. I mean, how cheap it was. When we were kids, we had, uh, you know, um, uh, mopeds that we drove around mm -hmm. and stuff. So I remember putting 50 cents in to fill up our tank. That's crazy. The gallon tank on on it yeah that's that's back to what i was telling you i always get a kick out of people that like they'll bark about the cost of paramotoring and i and i'm always like well hey let me meet me at lancaster we'll go up in an r44 for two hours and then when you stroke me a check for a thousand bucks and you get nothing out of it, <laughs> like you don't even get to grab all three the collective the cyclic or the rudder pedals you just touch the it's like <laughs> I know, right? And you know, at least with a paramotor, when you go and uh, get a burger, it's a twenty dollars burger, not a hundred. <laughs> definitely not a two thousand dollars burger, right? Yeah, Dude, you know how much how much it is. It is freaking expensive to go out to eat nowadays. I mean, yeah. even the cheap stuff, it's you can't get out of there without you know for two people twenty something dollars easily. Yeah, you know that's yep. the cheap stuff. Yeah, I don't it's know. Crazy. Did that it's answer crazy. your question, Tony? Hope so. He was asking about pump gas. I think we covered it. Let me chat. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even pull the chat up. I gotta head out shortly. Well, it is over. Pack everything up. We're about to start the show. Don't leave. I know, right? This was just a pre-show. Now we're ready to actually <laughs> do some stuff. Well, it is after nine o'clock, and you know, like I always say, this right here, it it takes a little something to make this look pretty all the time, and a lot of it's sleep. So, Grandpa, has, definitely, Grandpa needs to get some sleep to keep this appearance up, right? So, oh, you're just glowing tonight. You've just been glowing, Grandpa. <laughs> you got that Grandpa glow, you know. Aww. That yeah. sounds like something I need to bottle yeah. and sell at Walmart. Some Grandpa glow. I'll send you my four-year-old. He was, or my five-year-old. He was up at four this morning for whatever known reason. He's like, he's oh, ready to go. <laughs> uh, they're funny. Oh, John Wayne remembers 32 cents a gallon and a 14 cents gas war. I guess 14 cents they were having a gas war. That, that's that's crazy. At 14 cents a gallon. Yeah. That's crazy. My dad um, said that back when he was a kid, he would work for a dime a day on big smokestacks, you know, because, you know, there wasn't any labor laws back then. And a dime was a really good wage back in the day to, to work all day for 10 cents. There's, did you see the, the latest DOD? Um, so what well, I'm trying to think of what it was, I just got, and I don't know if it's public or not, but it was, so the cost of living, I think the number was, has gone up a hundred and 31% since 20, 
15 or 16. I believe it. The hourly wages increases have only gone up 27%. Well, hmm. look at look at from 2020 to now. I mean, I went from from $1.99 for chicken breast. Now it's $3.99. You know, yeah. meats is doubled in price. Everything's doubled in price. Everything has doubled in price except for Twinkies and big screen TVs. <laughs> they want you inside watching the big TV, eating your snacky cakes. It's so cheap to do that. That's what I'm saying. Eight uh, Bojangles, eight pieces of chicken and four biscuits over 20 bucks. I mean, dang, man, I used to get that for $9.99, you know? Not worth wow. going. No, $8.99. Sorry, I remember. But those there you go out, go out for pizza and wings and you're paying just as much as if you go out and have a really nice dinner, right? That's yeah. why I I cook at home. I do all the cooking. I love to cook. So I do all the cooking at home. We very rarely go out to eat only because I can get a couple of steaks, mashed potatoes and, and whatever and pay, you know, less than 20 bucks, right. you know, for a bit, you know, for two people having big old you know, steak and potato meals. You can't yeah. go out there and get a, a steak for less than 20 bucks, let alone two people for 20 bucks. If you guys ever come to this area, we'll take you to this. I'll take you to this local organic Amish farm. They'll give you half a cow for like $300 and they'll process everything for you on site. They'll flush, freeze it and they don't use any pesticides. They don't use anything. So you can get half a cow for 300 I don't know if it's like, I'll put it this way. We have a chest freezer that's, it's got to be like four feet wide by like what three feet tall. Mm -hmm. and Three hundred bucks will fill it. That's awesome because half a cow over here a couple of years ago was two hundred and fifty. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I want to say that's about yeah because because we, we were talking about going in on a full cow with another couple with kids, mm -hmm. yeah, and I think it was around like six or like with them for the cow them to process it and cut all the steak you know what i mean to cut all the different right. strips of meat and stuff out of it i think all in for the whole thing was like like 900 bucks for a whole cow for the whole cow and then all processed out that's really that's really good yeah but we're in amish country i mean i run in the summer and i'm running in these neighborhoods and the horses and the buggies they go by me and they're like hey Hmm, that's what we need to do is put a wing on a horse have so, they're interested they're at because it's not electrical and they they are allowed to use anything with gasoline or diesel yep. so they are very interested in paramotoring i actually did train an entire mennonite um church this past summer that's where most of my time was and they're like we have like three or four other churches that want you to come up here to they're in williamsport pennsylvania and I was like, yeah, I was like, how many people are we talking here? He goes, you know, maybe like 15 or, you know, 15 to 20, 25. And I was like, but they've got to be close to their farm. <laughs> and I was because they got to work the farm. Yeah. And I was like, well, you do realize that like, well, we could start at like four in the morning. I'm like, well, we can't do it in dark. Like, it's like, but they're, they're devoted and they're like, they love it. Like they, yeah. they fly, he probably flies more than any of, I would say in the last five or six years, he flies more than any of my students that I've trained. And interesting he, interesting how people they go gung-ho right away they go out and fly they fly 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 and after that first year it's hard to find people that will go out and and fly as much as they did the first year it's yeah. like they they got the flying out of their system and i was like eh, now what yeah. yeah this guy i mean he is great he loves it and this whole it's his whole church is involved with <laughs> you know, like that's nice man well that yeah and the mennonites are a little more lax than the yeah. 
Um, the yeah, problem with me is doing helicopter stuff for almost 20, what, 26, 27 years now. We have yeah. the worst mouths oh. any other mechanic on the planet. So because <laughs> so, nothing ever usually works out like you want it to. So it's <laughs> I am like always so cautious of what I say, how I say it. And it's like, you know. You'd have a lot of fun up there during what is it, Rumspringa? Rumspringa? Yeah. It, it, am I saying it right? Rumspringer. Yeah, Rumspringer. Yeah, where, where they, they can go wild, you know, uh-huh. whatever to get it out of their system. <laughs> yeah, yeah for a year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Funny. But anyway, funny. but hey, guys, I appreciate you inviting me on here tonight. And like, like I said, if there's anything that you guys have, you can. I'll post that link to the little mic boom thing. Um, okay. Is there anything else that comes up? If you just throw it in the chat, I'll, I, I look at it. I, we're, we have four businesses on top of the paramotor and the, the, the flight schools and then the, the, the Mac para stuff that I do. So mm-hmm. I, I check my phone, like, you know, like this type of stuff, like maybe two or three times a day. So if I don't respond, I will respond. I always get back to people. It just takes me a minute. And then with the kids on top of all of that, like we're, we're literally always running around with our heads chopped off. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate your time, Brian. This was, Yeah. I mean, I, went back so quick I learned too. a lot tonight, just listening to everything, or, you know, all the stuff you're talking about. And yeah, thank you so much. I really yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. You're welcome. You know, anytime, come and hang with us on Monday nights. I will. You know, it's funny is usually when you guys start up, that's when we're, I put the kids to bed early tonight. So that's about like bedtime. So oh. I, that's why I'm never on any of these because all these shows are okay. like right in the middle of when we're trying to clean up the house or sure. like get start we start work when they go to bed. <laughs> so sure. there's a couple of them that you've had posted that I'm like, like Sean, I've known Sean and Rachel forever, and I was like, I wanted to see that, and I'm just like, kids, well, kids. Well, they well they are on the audio also, so we do yeah. this, and then we also post our audio to our audio. So you at your favorite podcasting app, just search for. PPG yeah. Grandpa's Paramotor Podcast wore up. You can listen to all the shows in your car instead of trying to, you know, pull up a, you know, a screen and watch it. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. So I'll pull, I'll pull it up. I'll, I'll download. It's you, you. What did you say? It's PPG Grandpa. It's an app. Yeah. No, it's just at your whatever your favorite podcasting app. Yeah. You know, if you just search for PPG Grandpa Paramotor Podcast. Okay. Because that's how I started everything off with gotcha. PBG grandpa's paramotor podcast gotcha. and then we've yeah. changed some stuff throughout the uh you know throughout the years yeah and um you know so the original is still PBG grandpa's paramotor podcast i'm not going to change that because we what is the show called i mean it's uh, clear prop tv PBG grandpa's paramotor podcast clear prop yeah. uh, uh paratalk.org and also now run to the sky paramotor podcast yeah. you know because it's yeah. our nonprofits podcast now yeah so we got a lot of names for it. So I'm just trying to keep everything easy. PPG Grandpa's. Yeah, yeah I, I can do that because I'm on the road a lot. I get a lot of downtime. Um, I get a lot, get a lot of uh, truckers that say, thank you for letting this thing go for hours instead of just one hour because, man, the time on the road just goes by so much, so quicker. Yeah. You covered you covered my ride from Anchorage all the way yeah. down to Raleigh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are so. you any of you guys going to be over at Indiana, the Indiana fly-in? When mm. is that? Usually, they I think last year they did it in April. I'm going to try to hit all the major fly-ins this year coming up. Yeah, there's. I wouldn't say it's a major one; it's a good one. So if you guys come out there, 
we actually, so there's like, there's like 10 of us in our group. It's Richard Turner's group, Clear Sky PBG out in, um, I think he's in Indiana or, or yeah, I think they're out all out of Indiana or Ohio. Um, but we found there's this one flight that we did. It's, there's a casino and there's like these mansions that line this river there. It is absolutely, it's by French Lick. Um, it is absolutely breathtaking. So if you guys are out there, we, we kind of keep it on the DL cause there's a, uh, there's a few places that we flew for like ice cream. There's like an animal safari that you got to go over and be careful. Cause there's like bears and lions and like, tigers. so we're flying along and we're like, Hey shit, there's like a tiger. Oh, there's lions. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. We weren't, we should have flew around it, but we didn't know it was there. So we were like, That's this cool. is not good, but it's a really yeah. cool area <laughs> to fly. Why motor maintenance is important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That would that should be just a landing and a, like a GoPro, like and be like, this is why you always have to check your stuff before you take off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or else. But yeah, it's Richard Turner, I think, is the one that puts on all Richard Turner, Jeff Biggs. Um, who else is part of that crew? I don't know. It's all those Ohio guys, the Purden, a lot of the Purden guys are out there, but it's it's a really good it's 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 not big it's not like a Moe's or like a bad apples or a Dave Purdens but it's it's you know there's probably like 50 60 people that show up that's comfortable um, yeah and it's and you get some you get some young Yankee banky you know like let me look Yankee at me banky. <laughs> that's what I call it the Yankee banky look at me look at what I can do I'm like you do realize that all 150 of us can do the same thing um <laughs> to take off and want to fly in front of you yeah after the that's first funny. day they kind of get the gist and they're like they get up and get out that's funny oh so you're one of those yankee banky guys huh yeah and uh potty mouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey are you are you going to um moonshiners this year i was hoping i'm i'm gonna try to um get that that's the i'm not going to bad apples i'm not going to salt and sea i'm not going to moe's i did that all all that stuff last year for the because of the colorado 2 release mm -hmm. um but we we have so much stuff going on like the kids are getting older and they have like the events going on and it's just like it, it, it honestly a lot of it's just for me like i don't actually go down there to fly with that stuff there's just too many people there's too many novice people up there yeah and it's, I, you know, I mean, I think at Bad Apples, I sat when I wasn't working on an engine, just sat in a chair and just watched all the, you know, the casualty right in front of me. I mean, <laughs> literally, yeah. it's like same thing, same thing at Purdens. I mean, I, we flew like we flew for full, we flew more at Purdens than I think than I've ever flown at any fly in. But we took off and we flew like an hour and a half north or in that valley. Yeah. We got away from everybody immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um but yeah, I just, I, I mean, I don't, you know, there's nothing really to promote for Mac Paris stuff. And it's just like, I don't, we're in the DC metro area. I mean, we get, I could put 150 people into a class, you know what I mean? Every year and not miss a beat. I just, it's just, I don't know if I want to, you know, I don't want to commit to that many people. Right. Um, so well, don't forget to have fun, man, while you're flying, you know? I know. I haven't flown. The last time I flew for fun was Dave Purdens. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good enough. No, because October I did in October I did sixteen flights, instructional flights. Yeah, I had all these guys that want to train this year, and I was like, we had this like two day perfect window, so I set up the tandem. We have a Phoenix trike, and I set it up, and I just cranked out. 
flights just be like all right so but yeah it's i don't i don't really get to fly for fun anymore it's a, even when i do go out there for fun it becomes a my motors this something's wrong with my motor <laughs> you're shaking your head and i gotta <laughs> fix it <laughs> it's always something you know and then like we have a lot of guys they got the new viper the cross-country viper um and they a lot of them flew the viper we got the free ride we got the what is it the um the luna 2 they all kind of compared it to the colorado 2 mm. and the viper for some reason we ordered i ordered like two or three of these viper cross countries and the brake lines were just a mess like the they weren't the lengths were all out of whack and the the i'm like so we were out there one day we didn't even fly we just sat for three hours out there fixing these wings i'm like <laughs> wow i know i'm like and that's a pretty advanced wing right i mean it's like I remember flying the original Viper when it came out. I was with Chad Bastion out in Moe's. And um, I don't know if somebody was new when, at the factory. <laughs> Cutting their teeth on someone's wing. Right. They all came in the same shipment. And I was like, what the heck? They were all out of, they were all out of whack. So we had, we spent that, we, it was a beautiful day too. Of course it was no wind. So, and we just fixed brake lines. <laughs> weird. Yeah, I know it is weird. That's like the guy that I told you with the Colorado too. At twenty nine, he was a trike guy in Florida. He's like the brake, the two D steering, and everything was all out of whack. So he huh. took it to Eric Dufour and they fixed it. So I'm like, and that's what the Viper thing was. It was all the the way the lines were all connected. It was all, you, if you pulled, it was like the the tension, like the wingtip line, the stability lines were were so tight you'd collapse the wingtips in. We had to adjust all the lengths. Weird. It was yeah. weird. That's odd. I yeah. mean, I've had my, my Mac Paras have come with like extra long. Uh, I know. Break. Well, that's for trikes. Yeah. That's so, high hang point trikes. Yeah. But that was it. It's the only thing I had to adjust. But even mm -hmm. those were equal. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were the equal lengths. <laughs> yeah. And well, what's scary for me is like, I'm not, I mean, I know a lot, I know and fly, I've flown a lot of these wings, but I don't use those products all the time. So like, I'm only going off of what I know from Mac para. Cause I've been true to Mac para for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, I've owned other wings just, you know, just cause I've wanted to, you know, I thought they were interesting and I flew them and then I always ended up going back to Mac para. Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing this for them. And I'm like, listen, like I don't fly these wings all the time. So like I'll, I'll test fly it just to make sure that it's where it needs to be. But I'm not, I don't know if that's like where it should be or not. Right. Um, and then they reached out to, they reached out to somebody that was really familiar with it. And they're like, no, that's how it's supposed to be. So it was just a, you know, something they would just they just tied it short when they before they shipped it. Hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Well, is a good wing. It is. There's honestly, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I mean, I've flown a lot of it. There's like everything has like one or two differences that I like. Um, like the Luna Two. I think the Luna Two is a, a nice wing. Um, I don't think that any of them get rid of that oscillation like that colorado too you can go into a full roll with that colorado too and almost let go and the wing will go one two and stop and you're flying straight and level again really yeah the 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 free ride that what is it free ride um that wing was like I, you could never it made me sick it was like well, trying to get my that was the, the the free ride isn't that the one that's like super responsive yeah i mean yeah yeah like, you even when you just let go of the brakes, I felt like I was just, I was getting nauseous. 
(laughs) The only one that ever, you know, did that number to me where, you know, I have to like actively, you know, work on it was my Gen Vantage. Yes. And I, I, that one always oscillated. I mean, you have to hold on to it, you know, to keep it from oscillating. But if you stole the brakes, it wouldn't take long for you to be doing this number. And (laughs) if I didn't, if I didn't catch it, I think I'd do a barrel roll (laughs) (laughs) on autopilot. On autopilot, man. Right. I, I've been on that. I flew that. I've flown. So I, like I said, I like to fly everything. Everyone's like, you do that, you know, as a Mac pair. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always good to be able to talk, like to be able to explain to people, well, this is what I, this was my experience. It's maybe, maybe not what you feel or experience. Right. But this is my experience when I compare this, this, and this. Um, and like I said, Luna, Luna two and, and the Viper, the cross country, it's like, I mean, the Colorado, and I think the thing with the Colorado is the people that are interested in that level of wing, they want it to be more aggressive. And it, you can be aggressive on it, but it's it's minimal aggressive. You know, if you're just going to go out there and climb the 3,000 feet and bang wing overs and tumble and do all the crazy stuff, then, I mean, that's not the wing that you need. So that's not what they're after. They're not trying to, they're not trying to get that market. Um they want it to float like a butterfly and sting yeah. like a bee. Yeah. That's what they want. They want they want a perfect wing. Yeah. Okay. And it's I'll like tell you, one of the most advanced wings that I fly that are very that's very stable to, in in my opinion is the uh, Apco F3. Um it has a short cord, you know, wing tip is kind of long. Um, it can penetrate through pretty much anything. It has 2D uh, tied into it, and um, you can you can do whatever you want to. Still, the brakes while you're oscillating, they'll go shoop, just like that, almost like an A wing. Really, uh, very very stable. You know, you'd think that a C wing wouldn't be stable, and you'd have to be more actively piloting. Sure. But it's uh, it's one of my it's my favorite wing so far. It's an what is it? An Apco what? F three. F three. I haven't yeah. been on. I have not flown that. Yeah, very, very, very fast, very lifty. What size did you fly? Um, you know, it only goes up to a twenty-six, so I okay. have a twenty-six. Gotcha. So I'll have to, I'll have to. I'm sure there's somebody in the Maryland DC market that has it. There was um, what was it? One of the single cell wings I flew. That that was that was an interesting single cell or single skin single skin sorry a single skin wing that way and i forget what it was and it was new but dude that that was an interesting experience like i to look up and just see the like where the the little i don't know what they are the little v's where the lines are attached to the right it's just it's just like after flying for so long with just a regular glider to look up and see that it's like almost unnerving of like I don't know if I'm high enough if this thing starts to rip apart. It was like super <laughs> slow. You know what I mean? It's like there's just right. like the sixth sense of like, wow, there's not a lot of skin. There's not a lot above me. <laughs> so so is the, the whole thing was a single skin? It wasn't like a hybrid skin? No. I mean, well, I guess like the back of it was all. So maybe it was a hybrid um, skin. So APCO makes a hybrid skin. And I've flown those before too. It takes for I mean, it doesn't have much of a flare authority, but the the front end is double, and then half of it from yes, the, that's what it, it was. Is single skin? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe it was an Apco hybrid. That's what I think it may have been. It was one of the guys in Maryland brought it up, and he hadn't flown it. He was like, "Yeah, I'm, I've been kiting it. I don't know if I'm comfortable." Flying. I was like, "I'll go fly it." 
it's, it's, it's a nice wing. It's a nice wing. It, the uh, trim range is about this big, though. Yeah, that's what it was then. And it was super slow compared mm -hmm. to like the collar. Yeah, it was very yeah. slow. It was. It reminded me of a Muse, like a Muse 4. And, um, and I remember coming in, like you said, I remember coming in and there wasn't really a landing. It was just like a, my feet hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just nothing else there to, to you gotta to take a rap on on those for yeah. sure yeah. yeah but it was it was an interesting experience like i said it wasn't the the flying part of it it was just looking up and seeing there's there's not a whole lot there that you're the back lines are attached to. i know <laughs> yeah that's a terrible feeling too when you don't have any more flare left <laughs> and you still need it i mean that's... no Anytime that you, anytime you take a new wing up, when you come in for a landing, take a wrap just so you have it, just because yeah. you don't know if it has a good flare or not. Yeah. Well, the crazy part is, is like in, it doesn't matter how many hours you have, like even in a helicopter, like the rotaway, I don't know if you're familiar with rotaway helicopters or like these home built helicopters. And a lot of them use belts like for their rudder. Right. And like the thought of a belt to me just freaks me out. Yeah, yeah. I know it's okay and it's like been a proven like FAA approved thing for like years like 60 years yeah, but, but no in case. my head yeah I mean a Black Hawk helicopter you know it's like the highest temp stainless steel like on the planet or a CH-53 or you know all this like S-92 the S-76 I mean this is all the stuff that I work and fly right and it's like and you know when you're landing on a roof in New York City with a 40 mile an hour head gust or something like that like I don't want a belt behind me. <laughs> <laughs> like turning the blades like so when you look up and i saw that like that's all in my head i could focus on like i just i couldn't wow. get that out of my head and i was like yeah i think i'm good and i just <laughs> <laughs> he was like well if you if you are okay with it i'm okay with it and he flew it like two or three times and i was like the last time at the end of the summer when he came back out he had his charger with him and i'm like where's your where's that other wing at? he goes yeah i don't i'm the same way he's like i don't like that feeling yeah. <laughs> like, I know it's just they're, they're so light though. I mean, they're so light. Uh, the 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 large can ball up to no kidding this big, yeah. fit into a hike and fly. Yeah. Pack. I mean, well, they don't even so need light. wind. I mean, when we took off, I don't think we had any wind. And I mean, I could have done a reverse, you know. I, I mean know. <laughs> I know two miles an hour is like reverse. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? It just pops up like I mean, it's great. Don't yeah. use those in high wind though. Those are great for low wind or nil really? wind. Why? Mm. What happens in high wind? They collapse or? No, they just don't have a forward penetration. So you start to fly backwards. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they pop up so quick, yeah. you know, on very low wind. So, you know, um, they're great for nil wind morning runs and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, they're actually good for like, uh, light triking also. It really inflates quickly and um, does really good for light trikes. You know what? I wonder if that would be a good training wing. Does it overfly? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't really overfly. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I I didn't. I only did it once. You know, I only took it up for like ten minutes one time. So I didn't. But then again, time. but then again, I can't really say if it does if it does or doesn't because I'm so used to checking it anyway. Yeah. You know, when it comes up forward or reverse, I mean, it's whatever pops up. I mean, you know, just like you, you've been flying for such a long time, you could pretty much fly an Afghan. Right. You know, it's like. Never no know. big deal yeah so and, maybe and, for new students i don't know but for me i i I didn't have any problems with it yeah i'll have to i have a lot of for it's weird because in the last most of my students are foot launch people and in mm -hmm. the last this the end of this year i would say 50 percent of the guys that want to come out and i have a bunch of women this year too they all want wheels they all want trikes wheels really? are awesome yeah 
And it's like, well, we have the Phoenix. Is that a Phoenix there that you have when, behind you? I believe mini, so. Something. What is it? Mini, uh, mini. Oh, the Mini 3 or the Mini 2? Uh, Fly products? I can't remember. Mini something. There's a Mini it's 2, a mini, mini 3. I can't remember half the names of these. <laughs> yeah. The white and the orange. If I I, we, that, I'd be like, yeah, that's what it is. That one? Yeah, it's that one. Uh, the, we have the <laughs> Phoenix. And uh, we have the Phoenix with the Cosmos 300 on there. And um, I've been in the fly products. I've been in a bunch of them. And I, I find that the I'm 6'1". And I find that the fly products, I'm always sitting and my feet are like this. I'm up here. And my legs, my knees are like always smashed. I can't ever stretch out in it. But that Phoenix, that Power to Fly Phoenix, it really lets you stretch out. Um, and what's what I like about it is is on we, we take I took a couple of guys that were like 275. One was 275, one was 290. And I was like, man, I hope these hang points are, I mean, they're as far forward as you go for the tandem setup. <laughs> and and it dude, it is smooth as butter. And what I like about it is, is the passenger is not backing into you. And it does they don't interfere with anything that you're doing. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's nice that the fly product version of that. And I've flown the fly product version with the Rotax on it. And then the regular Cosmos 300. I've even flown the fly product one with the with the Moser on it. And it is I feel like it's such a short chassis. It's a nice setup, but it's such a short chassis um, compared to that Phoenix. And it's a little lower, which for people with trailers, I understand why it's like the go to because they can get it into their trailers. The Phoenix, mm. if you don't have that eight by I think it's a four by eight. It ain't going in there real without taking the hoop apart. Um, That's a trike buggy, Tony says. The trike buggy? Trike buggy yeah. Gotcha. There, hey, there yeah. was one last question there with, uh, was it Paul? He said, what about the Spider 3? I've not heard anything bad about the Spider 3. No, but I haven't either. I, I there's there's like two or three of them that we have out at the uh, some of the local guys out at the field, but I don't think any of them. I remember being out there one after like one afternoon, and I recall I just didn't get to fly them because I don't think they were my size. I I think they were all I think they were just way too small. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's probably a pretty good wing. I mean, all everyone that I know that has a Spider Three says it's a good wing. I yeah. flew a Spider uh, three. Um, some uh, somebody had one and let me fly it, and uh, you know my first one was a Roadster three, and the Spider three just feels like the uh, the same thing as a Roadster. It's just lighter material, and uh, doing reverse is kind of like that hybrid wing. It just will pop up in two mile an hour reverse. You know, it's like you know you you can especially in a nil wind you can do a ford in a nil you know nil wind with the spider three and it's just you know ridiculously easy to pop yeah. up the i mean i think i would say that's probably in line with the charger too it's pretty i mean a charger too i have students out that do reverses in like a one or two mile an hour wind with a charger too mm -hmm. um so i mean i don't even use my a's most when i fly a charger i fly a charger 223 and it's 296 is the max load. And I'm like two, 290, I think, all up with a full tank of fuel. Mm -hmm. um, and if if I have a, at least a three-mile-an-hour wind, I don't ever grab the A's. I just go back, take two steps back, and the wing pops up and it stops. So, but I haven't flown the three. The, 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 there, I haven't flown that Spider 3 with the Charger to compare. 
apples to apples. I think the ones that are out there, the guys that are out there are small. They're from Maryland and they're, they're big, like they got a bunch of wings, but there, a lot of them are acro wings, but they're all like, like 18 or 20, 2018, something like, I don't know. But I was just, I remember when I was out there, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, it's funny. The older you get, the more things that go through your head before you just strap on to something. <laughs> 10 <laughs> years ago, I would have just strapped into it regardless of what size it was and just gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> now it's like, all right, is the life insurance up? The kids, like, what's how that going to work out with the wife? Because it's like, ten I've years. Always, ago. I've always liked the the bigger wings, only because you know they they take off so quick. You know, um, even in nil wind, I can take off in 10, 15 steps with, with nil wind, maybe a little bit more if I have the adamating of most one eighty five. But all in all, I really like bigger wings. They just are very comfortable. Yeah. And you can come in and almost land in one spot. You don't have to walk very far. You know, I mean, you just you just come in and whoop, butterfly land. Yeah, so much easier on my knees and back having a bigger wing rather than trying to bleed off all that energy in a smaller wing. It's like it just doesn't sound fun to old grandpa. I want to just go up and fly and have fun. You know, it's funny. I have the, a very similar comparison, but all of my students are on like the size wing they should be flying. Right. And if I fly the Colorado two or the charger 23, I just keep having to turn around <laughs> and burn fuel to keep up with them. So right. then I go to a charger two twenty five, and I'm like right where they are. <laughs> so, yeah. and like you said, I get up there and I'll clip the brakes and just kind of cross my legs and just, you just don't have to think about anything because everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> yep. That is no fun. I mean, being in a group and being the last one, it's just like, there go your buddies, you know? Yeah. yeah I, the last, I flew with the, I flew with a bunch of students in the middle of the summer and we flew up to Lake Redmond, which is right on 83. And it's not too far from the airfield. And I had the Colorado 20, I had a Colorado 20 and I kept having to turn around. I was trim neutral. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I'm like, you know, I didn't take off with more than a half a gallon or half a tank of fuel. Yeah. <laughs> and no, no sooner did I go through my head and I'm like, I'm going to get the mirror out and take a look. Yeah. I was probably about a mile out and I was like, I'm going to get some altitude to make sure. <laughs> sure enough. Comes at a cost, doesn't it? <laughs> motor, motor shuts off. And I'm like, dead stick, dead stick. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I totally get that. And then when I remember when, when I flew the 25 and I landed, I was like, man, this is so nice. It's, it's it's so butter smooth. Well, it's also nice too with a bigger wing because you can you don't have to use as much gas, right? And yeah. once you get so I can go really slow. If I pull my trims in, I can just barely, you know, at 25%, and I could just maintain and cruise. You know, I'm not flying with anybody where I need to go fast, but if I need to go fast, you know, I can dump my trims and full full throttle and just haul butt, man. Yeah. So I can go nice and slow with uh, with a wings or shoot out there with with the speedsters. Do you use the speed bar with that all the time or no? No, not all the time. Only if I'm going to be going uh, like a cross country, will I put on a speed bar? Only because you know I might need that extra penetration, sure. maybe depending on what altitude I get at, and if I'm going to or fro, depending on the wind. Gotcha. So I'll I'll put it on just in case. But yeah. if I just tool around and have fun, I I don't. Don't waste your time. Yeah. No, only because it has a, the F three has a huge trim range. So yeah. even if you trim out, you're really hauling some butt. 
Gotcha. I think I'm going to take my speed bar off because I never use it. Yeah, I, I haven't. I mean, I've put it on just like when the, the Colorado 2 came out and I, mm -hmm. I flew it a couple times with it, but I took it off. I just, you know, I don't need it. Like, I mean, if I trim out all the way, like you said, I mean, there's enough trim on it that. Oh, that was something that I was going to tell. A lot of people ask us about the stitching on the tr the, the the trim on the wings. Mm -hmm. now, I don't know if that applies to the the Ozones or the APCO stuff, but in Mac Para, if you trim and you put the trim tab on the stitching, you can use the main toggle, whether it's the Colorado or the Charger 2 or the, the Samurai. So there's like a blue, an orange, a white, and then I think a red and a whatever, I forget what the, the bottom color is. So if you set a trim on one of those lines that are on the, that's stitched in the riser, you can use the main toggle. But if you go above the top line on either one of those gliders, that's when you have to go to the wingtip steering. Okay. Um, which is I a usually, really common question. I usually go tip steering if I go past neutral. Yeah, so I don't know it about your wing. So yeah, I read the manual on the wing, but the manual, the Mac Para manuals are definitely confusing because it's Czech. It's like Czech, you know, that they've converted into like 10 different languages and the right. verbiage, the translation was was not very clear. Does it show on your trims where the neutral is supposed to be? Yeah, it's white. Neutral and Mac Para wings are all always white. Okay. So that's takeoff, landing, you know, your normal flying. So, but if you wanted to just like, let's say you were just a little behind the crew that you were with, you could, and you just wanted to dump it out like an inch, you're still in the main toggle. Um, and if you dump it out, you know, the, to the second line, you know, you, you've picked up quite a bit of speed, but you're still okay to be on the main toggle. But if you go all the way out to the hoop that you pull the wing, the trim back in on, that's, then they definitely want you on the wingtip steering. And another question that I get a lot, and, and this applies to other manufacturers too, if it's not set up or in the manual to be set up for 2D steering, they do not want you making it a 2D wing. So if it's set up, so like the Charger, not the Charger 2, but the Charger is not a 2D wing. The Charger is not a 2D wing, but people will rig the brakes to be a 2D wing to get more responsiveness out of it. That is against all the manufacturer re recommendations. They tell directly from the test pilot and the, the manufacturer, they say, if you want to fly 2D, buy a 2D wing. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Well, the thing is too, you know, if they're not tied in, it's not like you can't just reach up and grab that. Now you're basically tied in with your fingers and yeah use it like you're tied in but at least you got the opportunity see i like them when they're separate personally i mean don't get me wrong i do like the ones that that i have that are tied in i do like that but the ones that are not tied in it's actually pretty nice to be able to stow your brakes you know and then just reach up and grab the tip steering and make that big turn stow right. and keep them go because when i fly i i don't hold i don't hold brakes i don't hold yeah. nothing i stow and i fly yeah um, when i want to make a turn i'll reach up and turn and then i'll stow again yeah, um, pretty yeah, much. Well, I mean, yeah, I just work <clears throat> outside line. I don't even, you know, if I'm just kind of cruising along, I'll just kind of, you know, go back from. But Paul, Paul Marzano, he he did have another question. It kind of ties in what we're talking about. So he wants to know what to expect with 2D steering. And I can tell you that I will never own a wing now that does not have it. I'd love that, and so um, the ability 
to, you know, you got your toggles and you, you know, you're making your turns. If you have the 2D tied in, am I calling it the right thing? 2D, yeah, right? 2D, right? Yeah, 2D steering. Yeah, yeah. yeah 2D steering <clears throat> tied in. Just for a little pressure, this direction goes a lot further that direction, if that makes so, any sense. Yeah, so pressure towards your chest. Yes, that's right. Because yeah. I see a lot of this with 2D. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, no, no. So I mean, you could still use it normal, you know, whatever. But but just a little towards you uh, provides a lot of extra force that direction, without all the extra effort on your part. So I absolutely love it. Yeah, I won't. I I, I don't like flying a, a wing that doesn't have at least tip stirring on it. It yeah. doesn't have to be tied in, but a tip stirring does make a huge difference. Yeah, there and it does. Yeah, there's I'll. It was Pardons, actually. There was a guy, and it wasn't a Mac Para wing, but he was—he got a new wing, and I, I forget what wing it was. And we were flying, and I was like, dude, why do you keep doing this? He's like, man, the 2D is incredible. And I, <laughs> and I landed, I'm like, that's not how it works, man. I was like, did you get <laughs> manual? And he was like, he's like, no. I was like, because he kept doing this, like, all he was doing these big turns, and he kept doing, why? like, this with his hands. Like, and I'm like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's in, and he was, he was telling me this, and he's, like, all excited. And I was like, he's like, no and i'm like go fly the wing and go do it this way and he was like holy cow man. I don't yeah, you know what you know what he was doing is that if you do pull it out this way what you're doing is you got the brake toggle here so you can pull your brake this way or this way and it's still going to pull a lot from that brake toggle so if you are pulling out this way you are actually making big turns right but you're not using your tip stirring yeah, it's like, <laughs> but you are pulling your brake a lot more because of that. Uh, that yeah, but when he figured out the right way to do it, he was like, "Wow, this thing is like scary." And I'm like, "You'll get used to it. Just be you. Be careful. Like slow. Don't just yank. You know, go crazy yanking and banking it." So like, he was like, "Yeah." But I just I for the life of me, and we flew for like an hour behind each other. I was right there with him for a good bit of it, and he was just all along the river and just going. You know, in those big farm fields when you go, I don't know what direction. I think it's. It's when you take off and you just, you, you follow, you don't go to the bridge, you go the other direction down the river. And for an hour, he kept doing this. And I'm like, what is he? And he didn't have a radio. And I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> so I have it on GoPro too. And I almost put it in the clip, like just did like a 15 second. And I'm like, no, cause I don't know who knows him or if, you know. I was like, could have set that to music somehow. <laughs> Tony, yeah, you can land with tip steering if that's all you got, man. <laughs> you can land with those. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I guess I guess he's asking. Not quite sure. And so if you don't have, if you lose the brake toggles or you lose anything, just reach up and grab the D risers, and just know that when you go directly to the D risers, it's going to get real sensitive. So if you come yeah. in and flare like this. You can't do that with D-risers. So you're just going to come in and add pressure with the D-risers and it'll give you the same authority as if you... So like, let's say you've chopped a brake off or, you know, you nicked the line or something. You're doing something stupid and something got caught in your prop. You just grab the D-risers and it'll do the same exact thing. Right. Uh, but if you have one brake that works and one doesn't, don't do the one brake that works no. and the D. It's either <laughs> both Ds yeah. or both brakes. Yeah. It's definitely still with the brake. And just use your D's. I actually fly like that, like you were talking about, like their long flights that we do. I, don't, mm -hmm. I just reach up and grab the D's and turn. I don't even grab the toggles or the lines anymore. Yeah. Wait, like, say that again. I so just, when I fly those long cross, we do a lot of long flights here. Like we we plan like 
80 to like 90 miles, like 45 miles each way, depending on the winds, obviously. And there's times where we get out there and then the winds shift and we're like, oh crap, like we're not going to make this back. Yeah. Um, so, but what I'll do is I'll stow my brakes and you know, I'll trim wherever we're going. And then if I need to, I'll just reach up and I'll grab the D and just put a little pressure on the D to correct whatever direction that I need to correct to. Now, see, I do the same thing with the, but I'll use the outside tip line is what I do, but maybe it's better to, I didn't really think about that way, I guess. So on the, you can, you're on, are you still flying the charger? In Colorado. You're on the, the two or the one? One. So the, you're, so on the two, the, the, the stability line is like way out. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. So on the, the way that it's tied in. Okay. So you, do you have 2D, you have 2D steering in the Colorado? Yes. Yeah. It's a little different on the two. So it's like, everyone's like, oh, it's so, I want to, I want to pull it in tight. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that until you like go fly it for, you know, they take off and they're like, something looks like it's wrong. It's not, it's just the way that the the lines are set up. So the, the, the 2D on the Colorado is like way out here versus the riser. That's just right there. I gotcha. Um, so, cause I, yeah, cause the first time that I flew long, I reached to go get it and I can reach it, but you really got to stretch. So it work your way around the propeller. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like, so, and, yeah. and, th and that's a good thing that you talked about as far as like, you know, coming in and using the D's right. So on really nice days, you know, if you have the hours, obviously under your belt, you want to try to come in differently you know, and try different things. And one of the things to try, obviously, if you got the skills and you got the time under your belt, is try to land using just the Ds. Yeah. You know, um, obviously, obviously kite, you know, reversing, you know, using the Ds so you can kind of feel what it feels like using the D lines, right? And or the brake lines when you're ground handling. So when you're actually flying, you'll be able to feel the, the Ds, you know, um, and kind of understand how much you need to pull. You don't want to pull too hard. You want to make sure that you're at least a neutral. You don't want to pull, you know, D lines if you're, you know, um, trimmed out. Um, obviously, I would say, you know, work with your instructor or somebody like that uh, if you're going to do something advanced like that. But it's worth your time to to fly without holding on to your brake toggles. Reach up and make those turns and restow. You know, try to work with your D-line slowly, obviously, because you don't want to do anything crazy. But in case something does happen, you know, like like um, like Brian said, what happens if you do lose a brake? What happens if it just comes untied and now you got a line stringing behind you, right? You can still turn. You can still use your tip string when you come in, grab your Ds and learn how to flare. You know, the, the more you can do on your wing, ground handling and or flying will make you a really, really good pilot. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, I don't want to do an SIV course because I just want to fly and fly straight and land. I don't want to do any acro. Well, SIV courses aren't aren't acro classes. They are what happens if this happens. How do you fix it? Like if you got a collapse, you might have to do a an A-line, um, you know, re-collapse it so it does open up. So how many people have done an SIV clinic? How many people are going to continue to do SIV clinics every year? I want to. The more I do, the more of a better pilot I feel. And I can feel like, I feel like if something does happen, I know how to throw a reserve. I know how to come in under 
using the D lines in case I lose the toggles. You know, it's very more important to be able to understand what happens if you do have an asymmetric um, collapse. You know, how do you fly an asymmetric? And you can, you can collapse your um, half your wing, shift over to the uh, um, inflated side and fly straight, you know, um, and you don't and that or feel that until you into an SIV clinic. I think that um, we'll... <laughs> and so you're saying an SIV clinic is a place to go to learn how to do things like that properly. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, um, I, I knew somebody that uh, went to an SIV clinic just to learn how to pull big ears. You really? Know? Well, exactly. they know they're doing it right. I exactly. Mean, and they feel safer doing it, you know, than rather than having a motor on your back. So um, have you done SIV clinics, uh, Brian? Yeah, I've been to two, but it was a long time ago. And it was, I think, um, um, it was in Arizona. It was at a real shallow lake. I'm trying to think of what, I can't remember the name. I don't, they're not out there anymore. Um, right. When you did your SIV clinic, lake. did you feel like after the clinic, you felt, wow. This wing wants to fly. It's hard to keep. It's hard to collapse it, and if it does collapse, it's easy to fix it. Yeah, I was the thing that blew me away was when we were out there. We did a stall, yeah. and I remember wrapping the brakes and and literally sitting almost up and trying. And I still couldn't really get anything to happen. I'm like, he's like, come on, man, and I'm like, I'm literally like up there, and I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> So, and then finally it went and I was like, you know, but it, yeah, it, it, it was an eye opener. What, what it made me realize now, I, I mean, I flew as a contractor, like helicopter, so like combat stuff, but like as a mercenary, not as a, as a soldier, not, not as a U.S. veteran or anything like that. So I went through a lot of private, like, like serious military training. And what I learned in the military training is like, you have no idea at what you can put the stress forces of a helicopter through before it fails. Mm -hmm. And that is what I took away more than anything. I'm like, wow, what I thought was like pushing the envelope wasn't even scratching the surface. <laughs> it's like, like when I would do stuff, when we used to live in New Bern, we lived across the street from the airfield. So my wife would see me do some really stupid stuff like low to the ground, which was, I, I admittedly admitted it was stupid because it was low to the ground. Right. And she was like, you're going to kill yourself. And I'm like, I'm not even like making a click on the meter as far as like what the capability is of this equipment. Um, so yeah, that was my thing is like my, your security blanket gets really big. Cause you're like, wow, this thing will take way more than what I typically want it to do. <laughs> yes. So it gave you confidence in your equipment that you, Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, all sorts of confidence. And that's that's a big thing, too, is when you um, do have, yeah, when you are flying and you start to fly into some crappy wind, right? You get some bumps and stuff. Um, you know that you're going to bump, but you know that you're safe. Your yeah. wing is not going to spin out. It's not going to collapse. And you're not going to fall, you know, to the ground. Your, your equipment can do so much more than what you probably even tried to put it through already. And Andrew Fuller, I think, is running them in Florida. And then you got Max. I don't know if anybody's out on the West Coast, but you got Max Marion out there on the West Coast in California. I think he's in San Diego. He does a lot of that stuff out there. He just got back into it, but he was pretty well known out there. Um, yeah, I go through Andrew Fuller. Yeah. 
So yeah, those are, I think those Robert are. trained uh, with Max. I think yeah, Max the one that trained now uh, trained my son Robert. Okay. Yeah, you know Robert and paragliding talk. Uh huh. Thursday nights. Yeah, yeah. I think Max um, trained him. So okay. yeah, and then uh, and I think he did an SIV with Andy Fuller years ago but yeah that's man i'm amazed when i see you guys do that stuff that's scary <laughs> you got to be really strong you know in watching you sean when you did it that one couple was it a couple years ago right yeah 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 everything was cramping i was trying to pull down and collapse my wing and i was i was getting cramps in my shoulders and arms and everything's like really that's like why, why is this not collapsing and i tell you what yeah. after that first one i was never afraid of my wings collapsing i i mean it takes a lot to collapse a wing and yeah. immediately they want to go whoop, right back out yeah yeah yeah, that was I remember I remember the cramps too. I remember when I was out there, I was out there on a business trip and I stayed like an extra week to do that. And I was doing a tri, I was tri triathlete training. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I mean, it's the desert, so it's really dry. And obviously like we're used to the everything humid here on the East coast. And I just remember getting up one morning and running like 12 miles, like before, like the day before I did that. And just, of course, never drink enough water. Right. And just try, like getting the Charlie horse, like the second or third time that I went up and I was like, this. so it's like, I'm like, this just yeah. sucks. Like, cause I was so focused on like the cramp, the Charlie horse. Cramp. They're like, what are you, like, I'm like, I'm okay. I just give me a minute. I'm like, I'm like up there almost crying cause it's so much pain. And I can't. Ooh, yeah. That hurts. <laughs> no, and, and going through an SMA clinic, man, you wear yourself out. Yeah. You know, um, Andy, uh, what he does is like, you know, for his fee, you, go up from sun up to sundown half the time people couldn't make it past three or four o'clock in the afternoon and they just like i i can't do it i'm just wore out yeah so yeah. you know you, you wear out money to do this what's that and you pay money to wear yourself out like that oh yeah well you know go to the gym, <laughs> go to the gym you're sure. wearing yourself out right so <laughs> yeah tony i mean yeah i mean I've, I, the only the closest i come to uh acro is barrel rolls and that's that's it and so yeah i mean the thought crosses my mind he's asking about do you ever worry about breaking lines if you pull too many g's i mean yeah i won't say the thought hasn't crossed my mind but i've never broken a line except for once i broke a b i don't know how i did it wow i actually i didn't do it it broke at the uh, malian itself you know the the little hoop mm -hmm. at the line right. it just just came off so wow but that that's another uh, reason to get your get your wing inspected and keep your lines in good shape exactly pull out a lot of cheese like brian said and you want to do it more often yeah <clears throat> and yeah, you want to have a you want to have a wing that can pull g's without stretching the lines too isn't there a difference between the uh, Dyneema and um, Kevlar cores as far as stretching? The people? price. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a so, huge difference. Yeah. So the Dyneema doesn't stretch. Is that correct? Or it doesn't stretch as much as the I don't think it stretches. Yeah, the Dyneema is a lot more resistant. Like it's, I don't think it stretches as much. It, they all stretch, but I think you can put the Dyneema through a lot more aggressive maneuver before you wear it out um the kevlar because the kevlar is just the triple sleeve kevlar so it's like the inner core and this is something that a lot of people don't know about kevlar so the inner core of your lines without that sheathing that's on there 
So now there's unsheathed like lines, like the canopy lines, or we, right. we call them the, um, oh my gosh, the BR lines, the, um, I can't think of the name of them, like the technical name of them, but the, they have a wax coating on them. Raw Kevlar breaks down with oxygen. So like if you nick one of your A lines, those thick, you know, sheath lines, and you have raw Kevlar sticking out, the air is actually breaking down that Kevlar. So you need to replace that. So the unsheathed Kevlar lines on a glider have like a waxy feel to them. They're they're coated. Um, so that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Like it's the same thing with a bulletproof vest. Have you ever seen somebody like a, a, a police officer or a contractor, somebody get shot? Have you ever seen a bulletproof vest with Kevlar coming out of it? You have your plates, like you have the the, the dragon plates that you can put in there and then you got the Kevlar. If there, That's a one and done. If there's a round that goes through that or breaks that skin and that Kevlar is exposed, you're done. Oh, so the Kevlar is basically useless? Yeah, because once the air gets in there, it starts to, it's like cotton candy. Like when you put it in your mouth and the spit starts to break the cotton candy down, it's wow. obviously a much slower process, but it's the same concept. It just starts to deteriorate and break down. And the <laughs> wax is the only thing that's protecting those upper lines? Yeah, that's why at 150 hours, they tell you to get rid of it. Yeah. So, and the reason that they don't sheathe them, they sheathe them now on a lot of the gliders. But the reason that they, they didn't sheathe them is because it's a lot less drag because you got all this extra wrapping of Kevlar. You know, you got all these little, um, uh, what do they call them? The BR, I, they call them the BR lines. I can't think of the technical name of them. Um, but you got all, when they're all sheathed, it just creates a lot of drag. Mm -hmm. So I the reason they're sheathing see. them is because they're using those nitinal rods, which is the nickel titanium rods. So the rods change the dynamic of the airflow over the wing. So they're still able to get the speed and penetration, but they're able to use those sheathed lines to eliminate, you know, so that you can basically put them through a little bit more rugged wear and tear before they start to break down. Right. That's nice. Yeah. Wow, is it really after ten o'clock? Yeah, it's eleven o'clock here. Matter of fact, my wife—I was going to say my wife just texted because she just got back from a business trip. So I was—I'm going to probably have to hop off here. Like, <laughs> I'm sure the kids will be up at four. Yeah, <laughs> only, only only a three-hour podcast. That's not too bad, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we need to do more of these, I guess, especially during the winter time. So anyway, um, yeah, thank you so much for yes. joining. Thanks, uh, Brian. Tell us more about. About your your school and um, how to get up with you, et cetera, et cetera. You're more than welcome to. Yeah, and then I will post those links. I'll put those links on your chat. Um, you can go to paraflightnc.com. You can go to so macpara-usa.com has the inventory that I have here. I usually keep. I try to keep like a hundred grand in inventory on hand. It's usually Charger twos. There's always a Colorado two in there. Um, so that if somebody needs something, it ships out right away. Colors, if they're not color, it, I recommend if you got students that are or people that are looking, just don't tell them anything about color. Just call me or look at the site, see what's available, and then tell them what's available. Because if you say, you know, there's blue, there's orange, there's, then they want one specific color. And that's the one thing about Mac Para is their colors are like, eh, I feel like they've been stuck in 1980 for the last 20 years. Um <laughs> But um, but the inventory is on macpara-usa.com. Um, and then I have, if you just type in Brian Goff Paramotor, there's a ton of videos out there for motors, um, for repair, maintenance, stuff like that. And I'm pretty, the gentleman earlier was like, he's like, yeah, if, you know, the, the, the frankness. And I'm like, I, I am, I will shoot, shoot you straight from the hip. I will not BS you. 
Um, and I will tell you, you know, exactly what, what you did or what you got. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And, you know, some people that rubs people the wrong way. It's like, well, I've been a mechanic for this or that. I'm like, well, I've been doing this for 27 years and went through $250,000 in aviation to work on $30 million helicopters. So if you're, if you, you're calling me for a reason. So if you know what you're doing, don't waste my time. Don't call me, <laughs> figure yeah, it out. Right. Right. What was the, what was the website again for the maintenance? Just, oh, the maintenance stuff is just type in YouTube, just type in Brian Goff paramotor. Okay. I have all those YouTube videos out there of the engine. Ma and I haven't made one in a while. Like I have one for a carb rebuild. It's literally a step-by-step -step carb rebuild. Um, just like top end middle, you know, the easy stuff that I don't have anything yet of me splitting crankcases because like I said, when I do these classes, there's so many people there. It's just, I, I, I need to get that footage. Like I need somebody that's going to actually like give me the footage so that I can edit it and go through it. Um, because it's, it, it's like paparazzi. It's like, and you know, it'd be like terabytes of data to go yeah. through. Um, so, but yeah, the, and then any, everything at the inventory, everything at the factory is also at that inventory on the MacPara-USA.com. Um, so if you want to see what's available at the factory, typically factory shipments are coming in every two to four weeks. So if, so if it's at the factory and I order it for you, you send the payment, I pay them. And then when two to four weeks, it's at my doorstep and then I box it and ship it back out to you. Um, customs has been a nightmare. So I don't know if anybody follows and not getting political, but with all the border people coming in from Mexico, they have removed a lot of our TSA agents that we deal with and they have shipped them to Texas and to New Mexico to process illegal immigrants coming into the United States. So I had a shipment over the holidays because of this, all this going on with the border. 37 days, it sat in customs oh because they had no agents. And the, the, the manager actually told me all of her people are in Texas and New Mexico processing immigrants. Oh man, that's horrible. So I cannot control that. So don't get mad at me because customs, there's nobody to clear your products through customs. <laughs> So. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it, it's it took a long time for some stuff to get through uh, Israel. Also, yeah, uh, had a couple of people that uh, bought some wings, and it took an awful long time. Yeah, because they're just sitting in customs. Yep, it's it's everywhere, and I mean, I don't know what the deal is if it was Israel itself, but the U.S. is just absolutely horrible when you're dealing with international shipments. If people knew the steps and what you have to go through to bring in volume. Because when we bring in shipments, we're bringing in, you know, 80 to 150,000 per shipment. It is a logistic nightmare to deal with it. Yeah, really? So it is just people are just have no idea, you know, because at the end sides, of the day, the shipper and the receiver, it's usually no, it's just once it hits the United States, as soon really? as it gets into the country, that's when it becomes, yeah, it's all, it becomes Homeland Security, customs, the taxes. How are we going to tax that? It's now so wings are now taxed as classified as textiles. It's fabric. So even though it says parachute, there. Well, what kind of fabric is that? Well, it's Skytex material. Okay. Well, we don't have a tax code for Skytex material. So well, can you give me something that's close to? So ripstop nylon. You know what I mean. So then they tax you for ripstop nylon, and then it's like, oh my god, it's a it's a nightmare. That's silly, man. Yeah. They we we had shipments stuck for 32 days.
because the TSA agent that finally cleared it, she didn't know what a flight suit was. <laughs> and I was like, ma'am, do you know what a baby onesie looks like? I was like, it's a onesie for an adult. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, oh, okay. Oh my gosh. I'm going through the same thing. I've ordered something from Sweden and it's supposed to be here in two days and you know, week and a half later it's still yeah. sitting in a warehouse somewhere in Louisville, Kentucky. You know? Yep. That's where all my stuff is too. In Memphis. <laughs> Louisville and Memphis. And, and the worst part is is it some some there was one shipment of custom wings and it sat outside. Oh it, no. It got soaking wet. Oh, wow, no. that's terrible. Yep. And then it took them, it took six months to get the money because it got, it sat for so long. It got wet and moldy. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. And then it took six months to get the funds to get the, the, I mean, I ordered the rings again because of the insurance, but sure. then, yeah. But I mean, imagine, you know, you spend four grand, 3,500, four grand for a wing. You wait six to eight weeks. Customs sits it out in the rain for, three weeks <laughs> and then you gotta wait another six to eight weeks for another wing this makes you wonder what else is just sitting out in the rain you know right i know it's like it's insane but anyway but i appreciate it guys and like i said i'll post those links and um if there's anything else that comes up just put them in that message thread and i can respond to when i get a minute all right oh, that's great brian I also got all of your links down in the description below. So if anybody wants to check out his YouTube or his Facebook or or his flight school, just uh, look down below. Also has his bio. So make sure you go over to his social medias and click like, subscribe, and bell notifications because, you know, hopefully he's going to be po uh, putting up a lot of really cool stuff uh, this year. I know during the winter time nobody really puts up much because it's so no. cool. nobody <laughs> flies, nobody does nothing. They hang with their family. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, anyways, yeah, Brian, thank you so much. Definitely um, come back anytime. Any Monday you can be on our panel. Just come over and hang out with us. Yeah. You're more than welcome to. All right. I appreciate it. Be safe. Thank Have you. Good night. Take care. Have a good night. <laughs> See you. Thanks again. Good night. All right. So that was really fun. It's uh, 10 10. And okay. I guess we'll say good night to everybody. We'll start with um, the sleepyhead Kevin that was uh, falling asleep. And uh, I know, huh? <laughs> he was like, God, guys. Well, they ever tired. Yeah. <laughs> At one time I thought he went. <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> it's all right. No problem. But uh, anyways, Kevin, uh, thank you for hanging out with us and um, can't wait for you to make it over here when it's not snowing. That's going to be great. Or, you know, no tornadoes and no snow. So, you know, get some flights in us, uh, of course. Snow-nadoes. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when are you supposed to come over next? Uh, hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully next weekend, the 26th. Okay. Hopefully it's week. warm. Hopefully it's not rainy and windy, and we'll find out for sure. It's supposed to be up in the 60s. <laughs> wow, much better than now, where it's like 10. Yeah. With snow and ice. Yeah, 14 here right now. Brr. Yeah. Wow. This, Getting there. This this global warming <laughs> is so cold. Getting there. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't leave at all. I could have probably. My friend wanted. 
come pick me up, you know, come on, let's go to the college. Let's go walk, you know? And I was like, I'm not going outside today. It's okay. You go ahead. That's what phones are for. Today was yeah. inside <laughs> day. Watching movies, taking naps. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Watch the snow too. pile up. It's great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so Kevin, thanks again. Can't wait for you to come over here and uh, do some videos, right? Yes, I enjoyed it. All right, enjoy it. Sounds good. Can't wait. Can't wait. Got Paramom USA from ParamomUSA.com that goes to a really cool page that has yeah. all of our different social media links on it. So you definitely yeah. want to go there. It used to go to her Facebook page, but now it goes to her super special awesome page that has it all It is a super media. special awesome page. It is. Mm -hmm. I like how you did all that. I appreciate that. Yeah. But I also appreciate my chatters tonight. Thanks for hanging with us. I don't know who's all still still there. I know you mentioned Tony, Mr. Vegas. And uh, thank you, Mr. Vegas, for uh, sitting with us and everything and hanging with us. And we, yeah, we learned a lot. I appreciate y'all. And uh, make sure you join us next Monday, same time, same place. We got an awesome guest next week. And that is Kenny Shatner, Shatner, I would say the name wrong. He's going to be our guest next week. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. Ryan said that he would, uh, he's probably going to hang out with us next week too. So it'll be Ryan Ross said he'll probably be hanging with us next week. So Tony um, Marzano wants to know if there's a show tomorrow. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, well. Yes. Tomorrow at 8 p.m. You can go to ppgshane.com. It'll take you right there. And it's called tuesday night hangout so we may talk paramotors we may talk politics you don't know what we're going to talk about because i don't know. <laughs> so yeah. we'll find out together. yeah that was fun last week yeah it was a fun show yeah, if you want to check out my videos you can go to my channel it's corny humors corny humor and uh paramotor videos whatever um just go to willflyppg.com Thanks to PPG okay. Grandpa. And y'all yeah. know that, but I got my uh, willflyppg.com from winning something on the spinning wheel, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. I think oh, we, yeah. we all got our little dot coms and stuff. I don't do that no more because that cost me hundreds of dollars to, to do that, but I had so much fun. So it was We awesome. appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. If you can't find me, you can always find me in the chat all week long because I follow everybody. <laughs> the worst person. Oh, well, just look in the chat. She's in there somewhere on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> we went down to seven viewers. Now it's up to nine viewers. That's crazy. So uh -oh. they're like, oh, hey, some people here. got their second win. They hurt. You know why? Cause That's they because it's me. next Monday already. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's time to start over. Oh, wait. Oh, All right. God. So we'll see you next uh next Monday. Uh episode 203, season five, Kenny. Kenny mm -hmm. Schnatter. Schnatter. I always say it wrong. Yeah. And then true. uh the next Monday will be episode 204 with Derek Weir. Uh-huh. So we got uh, a lot of people lined up and uh we're also going to be doing another podcast um that's we're going to be doing another podcast something else is coming up we got uh, more partnerships 
and uh something's really going to be cool as far as like we are going to be making our i don't know if i can say this or not but i think we can we're going to be making our own paramotors so um we're going to be talking about that uh with a, another episode that's not clear prop tv it's going to be something totally different but it's going to go right after this so from seven oh. to eight yeah seven to seven uh 55 we'll be doing this one and then at eight o'clock until nine we'll be doing the second podcast so that's how we're going to be doing that we were going to do that uh, today but um we weren't able to uh get the other people to to do that but yeah we're going to be making our own paramotors very soon and that's going to be one of the least expensive things that you'll be able to buy and it's going to be warranted which is going to be really awesome but anyways we'll talk about that wow. later sounds so. exciting it is going to be really exciting. Can you imagine getting a brand new paramotor for, well, I'm not even going to say the price because it's so inexpensive. You'd be like, is that used? No, brand new. That's mm -hmm. not AliExpress from, from China either. Can't wait. Can't wait. Have to do right. a shout out. Happy birthday, Robert. I'll see you on Thursday. Oh, it's Robert's uh, birthday. Happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. He's actually... Uh, He's actually, oh, see my kitty. There's my kitty. She's like, come on, let's go, mom. Yeah, he's actually, he's got church the next three nights. So I've been kind of like multitasking, <laughs> watching it on my phone. And as I told him, I would keep an eye on things. Because I'm like the PR, you know, for his church too. So I stay in the chat and keep all yeah. the creepers out. <laughs> PR for everybody. And also too, Kevin, Kevin had a birthday. So happy birthday, Kevin. Thank you. Yes, happy birthday. Oh, wait, today's your birthday? No, the ninth was my birthday. Oh, happy birthday, man. I didn't know that. Yes, I did. I wished you happy birthday. Yeah. I said happy birthday, Kevin. Yeah. Strike that. Yeah. The record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you sleepy? I think Grandpa is because he's taking all his clothes off. <laughs> no, it's getting warm in here. I had the the heater going on in 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 the room, so it got really warm in here. It's like ten degrees outside, and it's like hundred degrees inside. Look, okay, it's so funny, Molly. She's just like, okay, are we done yet? She's we are. Really so tonight. you guys have a great week. Don't forget tomorrow, yep. PPD Shane um, is uh, uh, Jade still doing hers on Wednesday? Yes, yes. Paramotor paramotorgirl.com. On yes. Wednesdays, uh, Thursdays, Robert Michaels, paraglidingtalk.com. Fridays is Scuba Steve's, paramotordude.com. Yep. Man, I, I know way too many dot-coms. You do. Cool. Yeah. And, and if you want to find me, you can always find me at runtothesky.org or iflyparamotors.com. Um, anything else before we say goodbye to everybody? That's it. All right. That's it. Thank you, you so tomorrow. much, everybody. See if I can do another heart. And heart. <laughs> Heart. Heart. Do the heart thing. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Next week we'll try. Safe, everybody. Love you. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye.